Welcome to the Plastic Please Restore podcast. We are your hosts, Trey the Explainer. And me, Miles Grab. A podcast about the natural world. Things that people claim are part of the natural world. And things that used to be. Well, Trey, we did it. We survived for two weeks and we're back with another show. That's right. That's right. We're back, man. And I had a birthday. I've become older. I had a lot of cake and pecan pie. And my girlfriend sent me some Mediterranean sweets that had pistachios and other such things. And they were delicious. That's amazing right there. Congrats. Happy birthday. Yeah, it was was good. Had a good time. I got some of the Fables hardcover comics that I needed for my collection for my friend. So shout out to Friendship. Oh, Fables good. Yeah, 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 it's really good. Um, So what have you been up to, my man? I've been up to not much. What have I been up to? (laughs) (laughs) Exciting. Exciting stuff. Um, I think, oh, I, I did the, the, uh, how did we talk about this last time where I talked about Game of Thrones a lot on a podcast? Oh yeah, 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 we did. Yeah, yeah, that was a while ago. Um, I've been learning about the Ark Encounter a lot, so that's uh, oh, yeah. all the Love intricacies. That oh, yeah. I saw someone posted on Twitter today that all the animals that survived on the Ark book. Yes, yes, I bought that book too recently. Oh. I want to get to the details. Oh yeah, that's, that seems fantastic. That's a book well, to own right there. I, I really, I learned that Ken Ham doesn't believe that the Bronze Age, Iron Age, and Stone Age exist. He just he just believes that we started out at the Iron Age. We just knew how to oh. master ironworking. That's, uh, well, then the why beginning. didn't we? I, I mean... <laughs> yes, it was... There's, there's a lot of interesting stuff. Um, We've always done this thing that we obviously haven't always done because there was a time period and people didn't do it. Well, here's the thing. I, I So I read his blog. I read yeah. Ken Ham's blog. I have a better use of my time right there. It's a great use of time. Um, and he, so I, he got this question, like, how did Noah have the sophisticated technology to build the ark? And the, the blog post literally just says his brain was bigger. Check out the big brain on bread. You're a smart motherfucker. That's right. Yeah. Because it was, because he was closer to Adam and Adam had the perfect brain. Oh. And um, his he just he he could master technology way easier than we could. That's good. So did he, he was built differently. Like he was built differently, Miles. He was. Yeah, he's, just, <laughs> he's the ideal ideal male form. <laughs> so the, we got some good uh, good little tidbits of information. I, I also learned that the dove that Noah sent out on the uh, the ark it is the ancestor, the direct ancestor of the dodo bird. So there oh. You go. Yeah. I, I saw this one thing it had like a raven attacking a dove that like the Pope was letting out and like under <laughs> the raven it was like Odin sends his regards. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> that's that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah well, that's, so I've been mostly wasting have you my seen time. The, have you seen the Noah movie that came out like I did, I did. Yeah, yeah. the post apocalyptic one. And oh like, did they have that weird like fox reptile creature in there? Oh gosh. I'm you know what I like like his father is trying to heal it or whatever. It's like example of like the pre-flood animals. No, I I, well, I need to see this. This is is this the one with um oh, who's the the guy from Gladiator? Russell Crowe. Crow. Crow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is, I need to watch Gladiator. My name is Maximus Decimus Meridius, commander of the armies of the North, general of the Felix Legions, loyal servant to the true emperor Marcus Aurelius. Father to a murdered son, husband to a murdered wife, and I will have my vengeance in this life or the next. <laughs> That's where I know him from. That's where I know him from. You know um, they're making well, they, Gladiator 2? 
They are. Yeah, and and for a long, which I assume is going to be normal. But there was going to be an abnormal Gladiator two for quite a while. A script like floated on the internet where he like it's a time goes travel to, one, right? He like goes to hell and shit. <laughs> yeah, that would have been fantastic. Oh my god! Wow, we need more go. just wild sequels. You know, they're right. just like completely jarring nonsense. Just nutty stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree. Um, speaking of a guy that talks about some weird and nutty stuff, we actually have an interview. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And now it's time for another Plastic Please Sort podcast interview. We got a guest on the show. It's the host of the Wide Atlantic Weird Podcast. Why don't you introduce yourself, my man? Well, hello, folks. My name is Kian. I come in here from Cork in the south of Ireland. And um, yeah, big fan of the show, folks. Very delighted and uh, pleased to be here. Well, I'm a fan of your show, too, because it is uh, weird, as you describe, and I like the honesty of that. And um, yeah, uh, this your show covers a lot of different topics, like... I mean, just just for example, I think like one of your first episodes is on uh, Alex Jones and Joe Rogan, and then you got uh, oh, <laughs> yeah, you have one on Neil Breen. Yes. Oh, Neil Breen. Yeah. yeah you, who, guys, you guys are Breeniacs. You're fans of the Breen. I lo- oh. I love Neil Breen. Yeah, I like anybody who's uh, lost their mind and willing to show us that losing his mind. And I'm reaping all the benefits. <laughs> what do you What do you discuss on Neil Breen? Like his like worldview? So, so I mean, once in a while, his worldview. Details, philosophical underpinnings of Neil Breen cinematography. There's got to be something, right? There's got to be some kind of worldview going on there. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, he's an absolute it? genius, and the world's out to get him. And if only he could unlock the truth. <laughs> Did you guys see his last film? A uh, double. What's it called? Twisted Pair. No, where he plays two versions of himself, and we went yes, to see I, that. The in, one I was living in England at the time. We went to see it in, I think, the Prince Charles Theatre in in London, which is kind of known for these kind of bad movie festivals and stuff like that. And we all went to it, you know, really hyped up on on Neil Breen. We watched all his previous movies the night before, and then we all came out of it kind of shaken because we were kind of wondering whether he's finally become self aware. Oh. <laughs> Because he was kind of doing deliberately silly Neil Breen things that we recognize oh. from all the old films. And we, you know, a lot of us were uncomfortable with this. So that's kind of what the episode is about. But what's the more horrifying show. concept, the self-awareness of Neil Breen or the self-awareness of AI? <laughs> <laughs> well, you don't. you kind of don't want them to become self-aware, like Tommy Wiseau becoming like self-aware and going like, oh, it was like, oh, it's like it ruins it. It ruins it. It was better when we thought you were for legit. So um, for those who aren't aware of the individual who calls himself Neil Breen, um, why don't one of you describe him for our listeners? Oh. (laughs) Oh. That's a a heavy task. Tommy Wiseau is a good point of reference because people are more familiar with him. The guy who made The Room, he's just one of these famous bad filmmakers. And again, the the joy is the the implication that he is in fact not self-aware. What are you doing on computer? Go outside, so beautiful! And he thinks he is some kind of genius. Um, I've, I've seen the subgenre referred to as ego exploitation, being mm. as 
the films are all about how awesome he is and what a badass he is and all of his roles he casts himself always as some kind of you know powerful macho military guy who can you know do all do all the tricks shoot all the guns get all the girls and um, despite the fact that he's you know not really in good shape and far too old to be having these adventures and <laughs> yeah like, yeah, and they're typically they're typically like the writer, director, and star. They like yeah, did yeah, everything. Four or five plus credits. That's how you know you're, <laughs> you're you got a winner. Um, his films he'll often be like in the desert or like looking onto people to have like six laptops in the back of his car and like yeah, cans yeah. of beans in his car <laughs> and a black tank top. He's a, his his yeah. tank top. <laughs> yeah, you guys, you, you're getting it. You know. What do you have for me this time? Cryptography, hacking into a banking system, shutting down a power grid for a major city, cutting off the water system for half the country, hacking into the stock market, closing down a bank, fixing an election. It's all easy. So, like, that's interesting weird stuff. But um, I, I think one of my favorite episodes of your show in particular is I forget all the names of the things, but there's that one eagle that was supposed to exist like in the West Coast of America that was in yeah. that famous bird book. And like, yes. it, yeah, it's like a plausible cryptid, right? Because it's not like a, a big old monster, man. It's just a bigger bird that no one's seen. Yeah, um, the Washington Sea Eagle, I think. And yeah, so yeah. It, it, all, it all hinges on these, you know, very august um, characters from American history and the history of American ornithology. And once you start reading into it, like like James John James Audubon and um, uh, Raffinesque, I think, is the other character. And once you start reading into it and finding out that these guys were really, really weird and were probably <laughs> playing tricks on each other. And there's a story where one of them lodges with the other in their house while traveling in the West. And um, if I remember correctly, wakes up in the middle of the night and there's a bat in the in the bedroom and he takes down the other guy's like precious antique violin and uses the violin to attack the bat and smashes it. And so a feud developed and that this is potentially why, you know, they were playing, the other guy was playing a trick on him where he wrote, put this fictional animal into the book. And now hundreds of years later, people are still maybe taking it seriously. <laughs> you know, this, this kind of thing. There's always a, there's always a story behind these, um, especially with these kind of eccentric and uh, 19th century characters, which is kind of my sweet spot, I think. So there isn't a, a long lost eagle in my home state, is what you're telling me. Well, I mean, far be it well, for me to say. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good response. <laughs> that's kind of the the attitude I take on the show for stuff that would be considered quote unquote mysterious, which is that I'm not going to take any BS, but at the same time, I'm not going to be snarky about it, and I, I'll give it. I'll give each new case the best chance that I can. Um, sure. Having said that, some quite early on, after maybe only four or five episodes, somebody online called me out on this and said, "Like you're pretending to be this kind of open-minded thing, but how how much longer are you going to remain that way?" As each case turns out to be not real, and <laughs> you know, I've looked into a lot of cases um, with more detail. And I, like it, it's usually stuff I liked when I was a kid. You know, I read all the sure. ghost books and monster books, and 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 now as an older person, I think it's quite common after you were about thirty to come back to the stuff you liked as a kid. And uh, I think I said before the show off air that um, uh, when I, I lived in the UK for a while and there's a turn of phrase there, which says that after you turn 30 for guys anyway, um, you're expected to choose one hobby and stick with and become obsessed with that for, for the rest of your life. But if you don't choose one, World War II is chosen for you by default. Yeah, <laughs> which I mean, well, it's like the biggest historical event in the last couple hundred years, man. It's a good I think one. It just, it's just the kind of generic dad. I know. <laughs> I like World War II stuff. I got yeah, lots of I, hobbies. 
<laughs> I, I'm a big fan of your show. Do you um when when you research, you you're a little bit more old school, right? Like, I, for example, we videoed when you first came on here, and you had a pen and paper. Do you have any ways that you research that might be um different than how we do it? Because you know, we like I I personally try to go down the wicker hole and go through all the links, and then I try to find phrases that I'm seeing repeated in a lot of articles, mm-hmm. and then I'll I'll copy paste those phrases and try to find the original source of them see like where these claims come from like do you have any particular methods that you use yeah i i do that that is that is good practice i just i collect books i'm a huge nerd for for these books and i i, I like kind of original materials so like I'm, I'm fascinated by the history of cryptozoology so i like to try and collect them the kind of original books that kind of kicked that idea into shape in the kind of early and mid 20th century and i like a lot of victorian stuff as well and i'm obsessed with the dates for things so you know, when I was a kid and I would read these stories, they would always be out of context, you know? Like, mm-hmm. you'd read about the Loch Ness Monster and the original Spicer sighting in 1933, and there's no context. It's just like, wow, there was a monster, here's the report. But actually understanding about what else was going on in the world at that time, what happened just before it, what happened just after that. Uh, for example, 1928, Arthur Conan Doyle writes in a paper and, and in one of his biographies saying that he believes that actually he's had seen uh, a plesiosaur while on while on his honeymoon in in um, I think the Aegean Sea off Greece in something like 1907. So you know you're like this is five years before the first Loch Ness monster sightings that he's telling this story that could be floating around the ether. What else mm-hmm. happens in 1933 is King Kong is released. You've got mm-hmm. all this context. You know some of it's cultural, some of it is mythological, some of it is um, you know any number of other things that are swirling around and. I think the more, if you have an interest in history, that's going to feed into it because then you're aware of what's affecting these stories. If you have an interest in fiction, and particularly mystery fiction, monster fiction, um, horror fiction, weird fiction, you know, Lovecraft, his influence is absolutely everywhere, especially when it comes <laughs> to creatures and tentacles and, and stuff like this. And, you know, as, as you folks know yourselves, because you deal with a lot of kind of bad theories about history and prehistory, you know, his fingerprints are all over the ancient alien stuff. They're all over the alternative archaeology stuff mm-hmm. you know so I, I collect all these things collect i collect both fictional and historical stuff and, and uh, try and apply it and i try and cr- I put everything in files in chronological order to and i really pain myself over this and I, on my episodes <laughs> i will interrupt myself frequently if i notice in the edit that i've left something out or got something wrong so <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I sweat the details as much as I can. I make mistakes like everybody, but I do I do try to sweat the details. No, that, I think that's really important yeah. as a researcher that you keep track of all those details. And I, I have that same sort of thing with like if I am editing like a video or something and I notice and I like stumble across some piece of research like after it's edited, I have to like go back in and redo the entire thing. I'm like, oh, I got to include this piece of information. This is important. And the more, the more you look into it, the more connections you, you find and sometimes it makes me feel like I'm a conspiracy theorist myself because they operate <laughs> in the same way, making drawing connections between things that maybe are not there. But I mean, I'm increasingly coming to accept that all of these things are, you know, these, these things that we would have put in separate categories like ghost hunting or cryptozoology or UFO, like they're not that different really mm. in terms of some of the same people uh, you find increasingly promote the same ideas at different points in their career. 
mm-hmm. or a lot of it has a sort of a mystical or even a religious underpinning, which kind of gets shorn off sometimes. And I think that's to do with certain researchers in the early days of forming these um, areas of study. You know, if you wanted to believe that, you know, these monsters were real physical flesh and blood creatures, then you would collect stories from witnesses, but you might leave out some of the details that were a little bit woo, a little bit mystical, you know, a little bit, you would take the spiritualism out if there was any spiritualism. You would take the religious element out if there was any. And increasingly I find that going back to original sources, whenever you can, there's, there's, there's stuff there that mm, was kind of left out. Maybe deliberately <laughs> over the years. I, I think a lot of it's a, a desire for respectability, you know, because mm-hmm. um, I, I I think that for a lot of people, they don't think as Bigfoot or the Loch Ness Monster as uh, examples of a species. I think that they think the Loch Ness Monster is like the monster of the lake. It's like a guardian. Mm-hmm. It's like a it's like a special entity. You know, there's not many of them that are breeding. He is the he's the creature of that lake. You know, Bigfoot is like the protector of the woods. He's like the last wild thing that that roams undiscovered. And it's not that the fact that they need to like retroactively argue that they're this extant species of ape or start using all these biological words. I mean, I think that they're just kind of like trying to get the their attention and respect of, you know, the post-Darwin scientific world. I think that these things are very much like um, Welsh folk stories about there being people in the woods that control this part or, or this forest specter or this creature in the water. I think the stories are really still tied to those things. And the fact that they use this other language is just um, them. Yeah, they're just trying to adapt to the culture that they live in, but that's not what they really believe in. Like, yeah. because they don't, I don't think that people care that the Loch Ness monster would be uh, an extant reptile or have offspring, or need this many calories. They'll argue those things because they want there to be the monster, but they want there to be a creature in the lake. The, the the water seems special, like this big, cold, deep pool just sits there, and there has to be something in it, and there has to be something with a will and a focus that knows where it's at, and that knows that you're looking into it. You know, like I, I think people want there to be something that looks back in the wild, and they don't care about the science of it. Mm. Yeah, and I, I suppose my background is in ecology, and and to some extent zoology. So, and, and I have a crazy interest in in the history of, especially colonialism and the sort of naturalism that was going on at the time, whatever you want to call that. So you know, I I I love historical fiction about you know going on adventures and finding new places and new countries, new cities, new new creatures, and I. I tend to enjoy that framework. And you can tell in some of my old episodes where, you know, I'm enjoying, you know, hypothetically talking through this creature as if it was a real biological thing. And as soon as I kind of reach a conclusion that, uh you know, I actually think the researcher here, you know, is more mystical than originally I thought. You can tell I kind of tune out and (laughs) I kind of lose interest. Whereas now I'm appreciating more that if you don't, if you don't see that this is deeply mystical, um, you're missing the point. And even today I was watching, there's a short voice video about, uh, is it Neil Waters, the guy who did, do you remember last year there was a brief um, kerfuffle about like thylacine photographs and they weren't very convincing, but um, the guy who took those pictures is a very interesting study. And there's a there's a short documentary on, on Vice that I watch. Hmm. And he begins talking very scientifically about this. He's talking about it like, 
you know, this is a real creature. He's talking about the projected habitats and um, the ecological niche of it. And he's talking about scat and he's talking about then the way a, any sci- any ecologist would talk about a real creature. And then kind of partway through the episode, his language changes and he starts saying more about what it would mean to him and how he had a sighting once and it changed his life. And I mean, people who see, you know, mystery big cats and stuff sometimes use the same language. And even though there is, there's more evidence for that than there is for lots of other things, even so the way we treat these things sometimes really strikes me as we talk about them in a way that doesn't sound like we talk about, you know, regular animals. There's something. Yeah, they're, they're romantic idea first and they're scientific by necessity. Yeah, yeah. Sasquatch is an interesting example of that, where, like, if you look back at the original story where we get the word Sasquatch, it's, like, vastly different than the modern idea of Sasquatch, where in, like, the original story, it's using fire and, like, tools and speaking human languages and stuff, and that stuff gets drowned out over time. Yeah, it's like J.W. Burns writing in the 20s and collecting stories where there was, I suppose, a wider range of interpretations. Mm. And it's, it, I mean, I've read some of his original articles. To me, it's not always clear whether he thinks that they're just another tribe, you know, another group of people, mm. um, or whether he thinks they are, like, he uses the word giants a lot. Does he literally mean giants? Does he mean a different species? You know, it's kind of vague. Yeah. And then, and then like, he also uses, like, hairy, hairy Indians and stuff. And it, it's like, yeah. does he mean, like, covered completely in hair or just, like, Indians with really long hair, like it's yeah. like feral. It's, Does he mean feral humans or like yeah. literal, like another species? Yeah. But then later on, once you know, um, uh, once the the Grover Krantz and all these guys get in on it in the in the fifties and sixties and seventies, they they kind of fashion it into what we now recognize, which is no, no, it's a, it's a it's an unknown species of primate or ape of some kind. Right. Therefore, that limits what we expect from it. But again, you know, a lot of shearhorning of the original material was done to provide that. And um, yeah, interesting stuff. Yeah, yeah. No, knowing history is like crucial to understanding cryptozoology, I think. Yeah. Like like, knowing- I, oh, sorry, I, yeah, when we did the UFO thing or the Bigfoot thing, like I tried to tell them in order the best I could. Because I feel like when you tell the stories in order, it pretty much puts them to bed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. If you see the development of the story, it's like, oh, or, or you see the people involved, like you talk about their credentials or or lack thereof. It, it kind of it, you see that there's a little bit of a bias involved. Sometimes I, I mean, sometimes I get caught out. So I'll, I'll structure my episode sometimes where I think you know structurally this story probably led to this one, probably led to that one. You know, mm-hmm. in the creation of an idea in the culture. And then sometimes afterwards, long afterwards, I'll find out that there was something I missed that had happened earlier. And it causes me to change my, my presumptions about it, which, you know, you have to be open to doing. Mm-hmm. Out of all the weird um, things you talked about, which ones do you think are the most plausible? Well, it's got, it's got to be the, it's got to be the mystery big cats. Um, mm-hmm. just, just like the folks who know the most about this, some of them are, are fairly on board with this. Um, and I got I got the most interesting feedback from that episode, and I was a little I was a little surprised quite how how many people were were open to this who who I wouldn't necessarily have expected. And um, I mean, I'm always it's the one that seems the most likely. It's 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 not ridiculous. It's not crazy out there again. But the only thing that troubles me is the like 
you know, if there's an animal out there, we it behaves a certain way. We talk about it in a certain way. No, nobody debates the fact that there are, are big cats in Africa. You know, there's no there's no mystery. The only thing that troubles me about this, and hopefully maybe in a year's time, I'll be able to say, hey, it's it's been put to bed. We know this is a thing. Um, but it does it does trouble me that they behave like other kinds of mysterious, you know, phenomena. You know, like. Yeah, so for these are the, the large cats that, you know, would be like um, jaguar, puma, tiger, lion, yeah. you know. Even in, in, the, in, in the U.S. now, there's there's stories about um, mountain lions being in places where they're not officially, you know. Yeah, and, and we have, you know, we do have big cats in America, you know, and in South oh, America. And, yeah. you know, I've seen them personally, um, you know, but yes, like we talked about this in the last couple of episodes, the, the range of these cats is sometimes exaggerated and sometimes... Um, there have been cases where professionals have said that mountain lions are not in this region. And then one actually was spotted. So the ranges can be quite high, but yeah. you know, you, you do get these sightings of like, Oh, there's like a black puma in an area where there really, really should not be one, which we've talked about on some monster quest episodes. They're definitely just cats, just pictures of cats. But, um, right. this phenomenon yeah, is in, sorry. Oh, you're gone. Yeah. But this phenomenon is in, um, the old country as well, which is what, uh, um, you're talking about. So it's just fascinating how the the meme is that they're Black Panthers, even yeah. though, as you say, that's that's you know just not as likely as like it's one of the less likely uh, solutions to the problem. Yeah, unless we're proposing that like they're all escapees from you know just eccentric people who who have weird pets, which mm. the, the Black Panther breeding pits. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know. So Trey, <laughs> yes, you found a story about yes some big giant Jewish folks, I believe. Yeah, well, I guess they're not. They're technically not big giant Jews. They're okay. giant in Jew story, Jewish folklore and stuff. Okay, um, just as there good. is a there is a story that came out that um, that a that evidence of nephilim nephilim. The, the famous Nephilim have, have been discovered by... Which, which are great because they can be anything you want them to be. Right. They can be Bigfoot. So who knows? Yeah. This could be Bigfoot uh, discovery right here. Yes. So there is a article that is titled... Let me look up what the title is here. It is titled, Evidence of Biblical Giants Found in Northern Israel. Ooh, that's oh, that's kinda, awesome. Glad we finally have this evidence. Right yeah. Well, well, don't get your hopes up. So okay, first never, of all, I should never. The evidence, the quote unquote evidence, is a documentary, oh. a docu series that's coming yeah. out, I guess, sometime soon, made by Inspirate the sorry the Inspiration Networks. Well, that sounds like a trustworthy network. It's a faith based organization that oh, says yeah. their their enthusiasm for the subject uh, fueled by their love of the Bible. So yeah, which, which Bible? Uh, well, uh, we present the evidence and invite people to research to reach their own conclusions. Yeah. Right. That's I love that. Good. I love it when someone puts a lot of money and effort into a research thing and then leaves me with finding my own conclusions. <laughs> um, yeah. So it's a documentary made by this Christian organization, um, where they, uh, they didn't find this is, this is not like a new finding or anything. Um, it's, it's a site in, uh, Israel or an area occupied by Israel um, 
called the Wheel of. See, I'm bad. My Hebrew is really bad, so I'm just going to call it the English translation: the Wheel of Ghosts or Wheel of Spirits. And it's this this large megalithic site uh, made up of stones um, that are in sort of a spiral wheel shape on the that ground. That looks freaking awesome. No, it looks it looks really cool. Uh, it says it's uh, 500 feet wide in some areas. Uh, there you go. And uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So there you go. It, but so I guess, and so their claim is that the that Og uh, built this uh, structure. Yeah, and Og. And it- was a was a big old mess about in the Bible days. Yes, Og is a very obscure figure in the Bible. Um, I I I I have to take back look at my notes. Um, if he's actually described as a giant in the canonical Bible, I know that he's described as a giant in like the Book of Giants and stuff. So considered like the non canonical text, but yeah, he's supposedly really really giant. He has a a big bed that he sits, sleeps in and stuff. Um, and he was, he was alive during sort of the conquest of Canaan, uh, after the Jews left Egypt and were under Moses and they fought against his, his, uh, army in a battle. And I guess they killed him. Uh, he was an Amorite King. There you go. Amorite King, uh, which were one of the peoples that occupied Canaan allegedly before the Jews came in. Yeah. And I guess they, they exterminated him. Uh, yeah, yeah, and I guess the, he built he built this spiral. He built this uh, little wheel. <laughs> yeah, so th- this is what five thousand years ago. Yeah, it, it, the t- the dating of the flight from Egypt is very vague. Of like people have tried to date it, and and just nothing doesn't nothing really works because it's kind of like a fiction. It's kind of like a, a fabricated period of uh, Jewish history. Sure. Um, so I don't know, five thousand years ago. That sounds right. Yeah, depends on who you ask. Well, yeah. So all this stuff is like prehistory in a lot of ways. So let's see what Wikipedia says. Wikipedia says that Moses existed in thirteen thirteen ninety one to twelve seventy one BCE. Yeah, sure. That sounds right to me. I don't know. Right. <laughs> like, like that's based off of like. All right, they tried to calculate. They tra- well, see, that's the thing is like the Pharaoh in Exodus isn't really named. So you have to kind of assume who it is and that just doesn't work out. And people have tried to date volcanic eruptions to ex- the Exodus. It, it just doesn't work. The point is, is like, it's hard to to date the timeline of the Exodus. So yeah, so. this is often called like the circle of giants. If you want to like Google it and find it. And it's comprised of like 40,000 tons of volcanic basalt. So it's, mm-hmm. it's a pretty big monolith. It's pretty crazy. It, it's interesting. So the the website, the article says that it's the wheel of giants, but um, I've other the other sources that I've seen it calls it the wheel of spirits or wheel mm. of ghosts. So I think maybe they're they're messing with the translation there. In that yeah, article. doing the same thing that we were talking about earlier. You know, trying to be more down there yeah. to get more attention. Yeah, yeah, and it's. I think I think the idea that it was built by giants uh, was developed in like the nineteen sixties. Um, but archaeologists now understand it as a Bronze Age site that was just probably built by a Bronze Age civilization. So if there's like, a lot of giants <laughs> in creationism. Why do you think that is? Because because uh, giants are in the Bible, so we have to have yeah. a reason. I mean, uh, <laughs> I feel like you could just say 
like Goliath was like an eight foot tall dude, and that's fine. Everyone's like, yeah, that's fine. Well, that's the thing is that the Dead Sea Scrolls, if I'm correct, they the 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 Dead Sea Scrolls names Goliath as like uh, six feet or seven foot tall, which is more realistic. Yeah, and then, he's like Shaquille O'Neal. You know, and then somewhere along the line, somebody altered the text to exaggerate it more. Because um, Josephus also confirms that Goliath was slightly shorter, um, which was a sort of first century uh, Jewish historian. Um, so the the evidence seems that the text was changed to make Goliath taller than he was in the original, which is kind of odd. Uh, oh yeah, this article also says that Serpent Mound in Ohio was built by giants. Uh, no, it, it, is, it was not. This, this, uh, this is called the mound builder myth, and it stretches back to like the 17, 1800s. And it sort of stems from this idea that uh, Europeans thought Native Americans were st- too stupid to build the mounds. So they're like, yeah. oh, so they're giants that did it. So uh, it's annoying that these these horrible ideas, these not horrible, but I guess they're stupid ideas still exist now. <laughs> well, I mean, they're pretty racist. Pretty. Yeah, yeah. It's really unfortunate, like, because there's a there's a lot of stuff that if if European um, settlers would have been more susceptible to, um, I don't know, believing and being interested in the anthropology of these people, maybe more of this information could have been saved. You know? Yeah, yeah, I I definitely yeah, that's definitely true. If they took more of a careful uh, examination of these mounds and stuff and kept an open mind. I mean, a lot of languages have been lost, right? So, like, a lot of these stories have been lost, and it, it, these are important. It'd be nice to have them. Yeah. Like, especially for the tribes. You know, like, I know a lot, a lot of, like, language loss is a concern, and a lot of tribes these days, you know, my friends talk about it, and, like, a lot of histories and stuff get lost, and, you know, it's important. It means a lot to them to have this stuff preserved, and so it's just it's a shame. And I don't know what... I guess when I hear people say, like, they couldn't have done this stuff, it just kind of pisses me off. So. Right. Well, and it, it doesn't really solve it. Like, why would see? Okay, so here the web. This article says Og's Og's bed was over fourteen feet long. Okay, so Og is under fourteen feet, I guess, unless he is touching the feet. He could have just liked a big bed. <laughs> he could have just really liked sleeping in a large bed. Yeah, maybe that's a misinterpretation by by later people that they they just took that his bed was big that he was also big. Look, man, oh he needed all that space on his bed, right? Og was the <laughs> conqueror. He was doing good. You know, he needed the room. So don't. <laughs> he wasn't a giant. And that in this way, maybe in other ways. Yeah. Anyways, this site was not built by giants. I don't know why this is seen as new evidence by this this article. Um, so there you go. <laughs> yeah, no, I've, I've um, I mean, there, there's a long, sad history of in Europeans going around the world and seeing things and saying, oh, the locals couldn't possibly have done this. And it, it is one of the places where, like, I, I tend to treat some of these, like, some of the stuff I deal with, the, the topics I deal with as, you know, a bit, of, a bit of fun. But the place where I do put my foot down is where they feed into bad ideas, and that is that is a, a fairly clear case of it. Yeah. And, I mean, these ideas were literally used to, you know, wipe people out um, in, in places where, you know, if it suits you to, to dehumanize a group of people, you know, and well, that's that's where it's going to end up. And that is pretty much what happened in some cases. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's, it's serious enough stuff. It's, yeah. it's, it's sad to see it's still going on because, it, because I mean, this history is known and it, it often does have a religious component. And that goes back to goes back to the 19th century as well. And there was frequently 
um, these kind of hoaxes about like, oh, we've dug up these skeletons of giants. And this what's uh, the one is. giant in America that was really famous? I forget its name. The Cardiff. 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 Yeah, 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 yeah. Cardiff. Yeah. It was like a. It was literally a stone giant. They believe that the giant petrified and, and turned to rock. That's so awesome. And they like sent it around and paid people to people paid to come see it and stuff. Yeah, it, it was, and it had a little a little dong out. It was it was kind of a little crazy. Yeah. Where is it now? Is it still around? It's it's. I think it's at it's at the Farmers Museum. There you go. Oh yeah. Okay. Seven foot tall. P.T. Barnum offered was that. A hundred and fifty thousand for the giant. There you go. Mm. In those days, wow. In those days, that was a lot. Unless it's adjusted for inflation, I don't think it is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, giants. Christians love them. Oh yeah, yeah. And cl- to clarify to the people, no, that this is literally just a carved rock. This is this yeah. is not an actual <laughs> petrified. No, it's not. It's not a petrified <laughs> giant, which uh, humans do not petrify. <laughs> we talk about I mean, miles. It shows that the like this this was a hoax pulled off by a fellow, and it just shows that the idea was out there. Like you know, when he did this, nobody was like, "What? I've never heard of this." You know, they were it fit into certain worldviews, and they were like, "Oh, of course." You know, the possibility of giants is out there. The possibility of these races that you know it, what, what was tremendously important to their worldview in some cases was that there be evidence for some race that was there pr- before the Native Americans, basically. So, mm-hmm. And that there's, I mean, people have advocated for the Irish and um, the Anglo-Saxons, the, the 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 Scandinavians, pretty much the lost tribes. He, of Israel, Hebrews, much, yeah, Hebrews as well. Yeah, pretty yeah. much everybody got to America before they did. That's the important thing. Yeah, you know, <laughs> it's <laughs> it's all in the name of kind of fairly dodgy, dodgy racial things. Mm. Yeah, that stuff sucks. Yeah, don't check out this documentary. It's a scam. <laughs> don't check it out. <laughs> it sucks. You're wasting your time. Well, anyways, I got a story yes. for you, Trey. Yes, let's hear your story, Miles. I- I've been interested. I've been hearing about this throughout the week. Okay, so a decade ago, right, in the dark mists of the now ancient internet of 2012, a webcomic was uploaded to the oatmail.com. Okay. Do you know about the oatmeal.com? The, oat, the oatmeal.com? I that. Yeah. yeah. Oh, no, no. I, I, I'm not familiar with this, no. Okay, yeah. So it was a really popular um, like webcomic um, back in the day. All bunch of like funny commentary on stuff. Really well read. Um, but it told the story of this forgotten geek god, Nikola Tesla, right? Um, here, let me just read a little bit to you to get the context of it. Uh I'm open, looking up oatmeal.com. What is this? Yeah, the, <laughs> oh my God, why Nikola Tesla was the greatest geek that ever lived? That sounds awful. <laughs> okay. So let me just read a little bit of this to give you context for those of you who don't know it. Geeks stay up all night disassembling the world so they can put it back together with new features. They tinker and fix things that aren't broken. Geeks abandon the world around them because they're too busy soldering together a new one. They obsess, and in many cases, they suffer. Over 100 years ago, a Serbian-American inventor by the name of Nikolai Tesla started fixing things that went broken. At a time when the majority of the world was still lit by candle power, an electrical system known as alternating current was invented. And to this day, it is what powers every home on the planet. Why do, who do we have to thank for this invention? Well, Nikola Tesla. 
But I thought Thomas Edison was the father of electric age. Nope, it was Tesla. When most people think of Thomas Edison, they think of the man who invented the light bulb. The light bulb. Edison didn't invent the light bulb. He improved upon the ideas, but 22 other men pioneered the light bulb before him. Edison simply figured out how to sell the light bulb. And it goes on like this and on like this. And then it says things like, Edison is a good example of a non-geek who operated in a geek space. And uh, Edison was a was not a geek. He was a CEO. And like <laughs> it goes it goes on and on about this. Um, so that's the context of the oatmeal. Um, anyways, so it tells the forgotten story of the geek god Nikola Tesla and the evil tech bro Chad Thomas Edison. <laughs> that's all. This sounds awful, Miles. <laughs> our, our hero Tesla was a nerd who made almost everything ever and wanted to give it all away for free. And our hated villain, Edison, was a misanthropic man who cheated and lied his way to basically a Scrooge McDuck level of pools of money, right? <laughs> it, it was snarky and fun and subversive. It was the perfect combo for a sticky meme, especially in 2012. It it was this accumulation of a new fandom that had been mixing around the, you know, the I bet you don't know this side of history books and cable TV documentaries and, and the ever trustworthy message boards and forms. Um, this it's this idea that we had this perfect science daddy stolen from us, um, but now with the power of Internet Stark, we can reclaim him for at this time the hormonal teenage internet, and in this the the cult of Tesla was born. Um, it's been about ten years um, since this came out and this cult of Tesla started, and and the internet of course has been through many crises. We've been through Coney twenty twelve, oh uh, God, <laughs> the old peopling of Facebook. The Tumblr refugee crisis, the advice animal means extinction, and of course, Vine 11. Um, but the cult of Tesla remains. And in fact, it's it's more powerful than ever. Um, just an example of this, go to YouTube and type in Nikola Tesla. And some of the most popular videos you'll see will be headlined as Nikola Tesla, limitless energy in the pyramids of Egypt. Why did Nikola Tesla say the numbers 369 are the key to the universe? Well, of course. Nikola Tesla. Yeah, yeah. Nikola Tesla, <laughs> secret inventions that were lost or censored. Nikola Tesla, the greatest genius who ever lived. The old Nikola Tesla interview reveals that he discovered that something was sending Earth messages. Oh so, my God! Yeah, oh, is that the is that the black he satellite believed, thing? He believed that Martian civilizations were sending him messages on his radio. By the end, of his yeah, life. he also fell in love with a pigeon. But that that's a later. That's later. <laughs> um, so all that, these videos. That's interesting. That's interesting that you bring up pigeons, love of pigeons, because that, that shows up later in this episode, Miles. That's funny. Good connection there. Yeah, unintentional. <laughs> um, um, so all these videos wax poetically about the lost cause of this castaway inventor, right? The top comments on these videos are predictable and repeat almost word for word. They lament that they were not taught of him in high school. That Tesla was forgotten. How unfair. Tesla's ideas could have saved the world, and we are so much worse off without him. The reverence for Tesla lives on, but not just in people who fancy electrical engineering, where no doubt Tesla was an important figure, but this forgotten man of science, he has an electrical measurement named after him. After all, he has not been forgotten, but the cult (laughs) of Tesla holds him up as a man who could have built a utopia, who could have, or maybe did, contact aliens, who could have given us free energy shared without greed, created without vanity, and could have saved lives in wars or taken them with his death ray. And for this, he died alone and poor, the piety of a noble scientist. You know, he's he's the patron saint of the geeks. Uh, This is the way the cult of Tesla talks about him. 
But the because facts have not like, come. Yeah. 2012. Is, is this a time when like a certain type of geek identity is being forged online? Yeah. 2008 is kind of like the beginning of the modern Marvel film cycle, isn't it? So this is yeah, a few yeah. years on from that. And so there, you get the yeah. in, in, investment of old money like Disney into like, you know, niche genre fiction like comic books. And um, in 2014, the mouse also buys Star Wars. And you start seeing a lot of um, things that were pop culture, but, you know, the, their main interest was niche become really mainstream. And so this kind of like explosion of um, counterculture geek stuff has really become mainstream at this point. So or is beginning to. Um, but but the facts have not come to bury Tesla, but to praise him because there is no debunking of Tesla as an important and influential and even tragic inventor. Um, the oatmeal cartoon credits Tesla with the invention or discovery of this list of things, just to name a few alternating current radio radar x-rays hydroelectric dams cryonic engineering transistors recording radio waves from space discovering earth's resonating frequency an earthquake machine (laughs) ball of lightning not the magic card the remote control neon lighting modern electronic motors and wireless communication now you may suspect that some of these claims are exaggerated, untrue, or lacking important content, context, and your instincts serve you well. The real amazing part is, though, that it it's not all untrue. Um, Tesla did have a great deal in a lot of these things. Even if his contributions to these things only helped just 5% of the way, that's a far productive life than most engineers could ever dream of. And he was well paid in his day and sought after for his contributions. So people who were in the business of making money, who making tech breakthroughs, they wanted him on their team. So Tesla was no doubt a, a great man and a great engineer. But he, here's the rub with the cult of Tesla. Uh, great man history is the school of thought that the big important moments of the past are due overwhelmingly to the impact of great men, right? So Rome is Rome because of Caesar. America is America because of George Washington. The Zulu are the Zulu because of Shaka, right? It's this individualistic way of understanding the past. Um, society is, is saved by the, the graces of the masters of civics. A war is won by the masters of strategy or the um, esoteric secrets of the cosmos. You know, they're, they're charmed to clarity by um, the focus of one genius, of one great man. Uh, this method of history gained popularity in the 19th century and seemingly from 19-year-olds finding out about our tech daddy Tesla. It it waned in popularity with the rise of historical revisionism, which is a, a historical framework that focuses more on class and gender and race when analyzing history. It you know it, it kind of um, basically the counterculture movement of the '60s when those people got old and became professors, they kind of helped create this um, historical revisionism view of history. Um, it sought to peel back the narratives of great man history and see these events f- uh, from far more diverse perspectives often with uh, a focus on calling out unjust actors and former great men or nations, wars, etc. Um, but the thing about Tesla is he sits in this golden center of these two schools of thought. He is a great man, one of the greatest adventures the world has ever known, they'll claim. And in some part, that's true. He's also a man concerned with class and building a structurally better society. He's an outsider, so the claim goes. And he's stepped over by historians and the great men of his time. He was hounded by the villainous Edison, and he had his purse cut, his reputation shattered by the greedy. All this while dying a virgin, geeky, pasty dude you know, with a killer mustache. 
You know, he he was a great man, but a forgotten man. So this gives him like an interesting place in these two schools of thought, which I think makes him stand out. But beneath this digital church and its HTML homilies and JPEG proselytizations is the real foundations of the story. Um, what Nikola Tesla, this um, Serbian-American inventor, actually create? Well, the truth of all this, he, he did do a lot, but the reality is more complicated. Well, the reality of many major inventions is that they are made by incremental advancements, right? So like one inventor improving a necessary material component or another improving the way it's implemented and still another building out the process needed to get the scaling or the energy to produce the thing or still others needing to produce the economically viable model to sell it. Who history remembers as the inventor of a thing, it's not so much the one that discovers the curiosity of it, it's the one that makes it to be a need. Right. If your light bulb works in a lab, it's a neat trick. When your light bulb works in every home around the block, it's time has truly come. Well, yeah, there's the, there's the good example of that is uh, like Steve Jobs. Everybody thinks of Steve Jobs as like the inventor of the, the smartphone, where he yeah. pretty much just made this piece of technology more available to the average person. Yeah, because, you know, there's all kinds of um, uh, microchip technology that was being implemented in phones. But the iPhone, for better or worse, was uh, much more intuitive and easier for most people to use than the Blackberries at the time. So it's the thing that really made the mark, you know. So Right. Um, and, and then again, you know, like Jobs is not the engineer, right? Like right. Um, Wozniak built the Apple II, not Steve Jobs, but you do need the marketer. So mm-hmm. um, anyway, so let, let's just talk about one of these things in detail then. So actual AC power, right? So here's the imp- here's the timeline of AC power, the thing that Tesla is said to have invented, his greatest invention, one of his main contributions. So here's the timeline. 1832, the first alternator to produce AC was a a dynamo electric generator based on Michael Faraday's principles constructed by a French maker I can't say his name but it's like a Hippolyte Pixie something like that Um, doesn't matter AC in 1832 that's what you need to know so 1856 um, MD Monsel advised the use of a generator without its normal metallic brushes because they were damaged and it was being annoying to them um the lab found when they didn't use these brushes, uh, they could actually get AC power and turn on a light from this generator. So that was a big advancement. 1856, Nikola Tesla was born. 1875, Tesla enrolls in college where he is schooled in the budding field of AC power, learns how to use it, and is said to have argued with his pe- professors commonly about it. 1876, Pavel Yovanovitch of Russia created a system of lights with inductive coils that were installed along an AC line. So this is like, you know, lighting a street for the first time. 1878, the Gans factory in Hungary began manufacturing electronic light equipment. And then in 1882, Tesla takes a job with the Edison General Electric Company in Paris. He starts installing lights in houses and does well and is promoted and starts working on dynamos and motors of himself, uh, for himself. 1883, so a year later, the Gans factory had installed more than 50 different light systems in Hungary. Uh, sorry, Austria, Hungary. Um, 1884, Tesla emigrates to America. A year later, Tesla submits some of his first patents, namely the DC motor. 1885, Galileo Ferris creates a dual coil motor that produces two AC currents, the first multi-phase AC motor. 
same year, but later in the year, three engineers with the Gantz company working in Budapest filed for a patent for novel transformers with a closed magnetic circuit. They were three times more efficient than previous transformers, and this allowed AC power to travel on a long distance, like on a long line, you know, to light lights or whatever, much as we do today. So this is one of the really important advancements in sending AC power out. 1886, George Westinghouse and William Stanley patented an improved AC transformer. 1887, Tesla invents an AC introduction motor that uses a rotating magnetic field. It is widely adopted. It requires far less maintenance than previous motors and is a massive improvement on them. Yeah. 1888, George Westinghouse buys Tesla's patent. Right? So that's kind of like the, the timeline here for the AC. So you can see in this timeline, Tesla is a character. He's doing things, right? But he's not like the only person doing it. He didn't invent AC power. And he even went to school to learn how to use AC power. So, But Miles, you can't fit all that on a meme, you know? That's yeah, <laughs> well, that's why we that's invented like, podcasts. <laughs> can't fit that on a meme. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Was that a boring five minutes of details? Maybe so. Um, but I think it's important to see the timeline. So anyway, um, hmm. Yeah, now, it now this, these stories always—it's important to see what is really going on by comparison with the reduced version that we get, you know, on Twitter on a meme, because the the simple version is, is always what gets pushed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, so Tesla didn't invent AC power. So why was there this war between Tesla and Edison over AC and DC power? You know, often called the current wars. It's such a focal point of the oatmeal cartoon, as well as books and films on the two men. But the thing is there wasn't really this conflict between the two. Westinghouse did back AC power, while Edison General Electric used DC power. Edison pointed out that AC used a higher current and believed it to be dangerous, and privately wrote that he anticipated electrocutions and deaths if it became popular. Now, Edison did stage public experiments where he killed animals with AC power. An apologist would argue that he did this with a true belief that he actually thought it was dangerous, and didn't want AC power to become the mainstay because of the risk of health. But a cynic would definitely argue that he did this just to increase his market share. Um, The historical fact between those two opinions is difficult to parse. However, the killing blow of the conflict was not Tesla's inventions or electrocuting animals. It was the Monopoly guy prototype JP Morgan, right? He comes into this because he was a big stockholder, and he performed a hostile takeover of Edison's General Electric, and turned it into GE, the company that's still around today. And that's when the war really came to an end. And he did this because uh, Edison was, you know, really was a, was a big profitable company, and they're really pushing DC. But AC was cheaper, and the lawsuits between the two companies were piling up. And J.P. Morgan basically wanted to lower the bills of the company that he was a shareholder on. That's the story. That's why it ended. It was not Virgin Tesla versus Thomason, you know, that is in the Chad and like fighting over this actual like opinion about AC and DC. Like it came to an end because of JP Morgan wanted to lower his bills, but that's just not a fun ending. And so you get this Tesla versus Edison thing, but it's just not true is the thing. Um, So, so like what are the other inventions? Uh, the X-ray, the radio, these famous photos of him sitting in front of all the lightning bolts, his wireless power transmission, ball lightnings, death rays, radio waves, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Well, 
Um, I could go into explain all these things in detail, but um, Brian Dunning of Skeptoid.com actually has a really good article breaking them all down. So if you want to hear kind of this long form breakdown I did of AC or the shorter one I did on the current wars, I would recommend you check out the Skeptoid article on them because you can find detailed breakdowns. But the point is, um, they all follow the same pattern of the invention of AC. And that textile was in the mix, but the tales all grew in the telling. They wrapped into a more fantastical and perfect storylines to meet the idea of him being our secret science daddy. And um, Tesla was six foot two, by the way. So. <laughs> um, Did he actually die a virgin, Miles? Is, is, this is important information. Um, so he claimed to have died a virgin. Um, he was mm-hmm. celibate. Um, I, there is speculation that he was gay. Um, I don't know if this is true or not. I don't think we can know that at the moment, but mm-hmm. this is something you can look into, and it's it, I, I find it to be plausible. Um mm-hmm. But yeah, it, he is said to have died a virgin by his own account, and there are comments from other people around him saying that he like really didn't like women, and he was afraid of their jewels. Oh, their jewels. That's kind of yes. interesting. Yes, like he, he has mentioned that like when they wore fancy jewelry that he found it very off-putting and didn't want to oh. be around it. So. He was played by David Bowie in, in The Prestige, so you know anything's possible, I suppose. Yeah. yeah. What, what about the pigeon, Miles? What, what was that about? Can is that okay if we hear about that? Uh, well, hold on. Uh, so by 1903, right? Uh, Tes- yeah. Tesla had a failed plan to send power wirelessly around the world, right? right. Um, but th- this plan basically bankrupted him. Um, J.P. Morgan, Morgan had stopped sending him checks, and the science of this plan was unsound. Right? This wasn't like a failed thing he was trying to do. The actual like math, the physics of his what he was trying to do was just not sound. It was not a thing that was going to work. Um, mm. And he started losing respect of his peers, and and his lectures were criticized. And like a one of his peers claimed that spectacular sensationalism was accept, accepted as a substitute for the scientific method when criticizing mm. the way Tesla, Tesla was behaving around his coils. Um, and this is a thing that often gets talked about in these YouTube videos. Basically, this idea that he was going to send free energy around the world wirelessly. This right. was not a thing that was going to work. And you can find um, engineers on YouTube or in articles debunking this more carefully if you want to know more about it. But that's just the the plain, simple version of it. Um, so the more you look into each of these claims or these inventions, the higher resolution you put on the details, the more the narrative is lost. Tesla even praised Edison as writings, and Edison once wrote a long diatribe hot take about how AC sucked, and he didn't even mention Tesla one time in this in this whole shit post, right? So the, the the rivalry between these men is a modern fiction, and although there there is some there there, right? There's like there's some plausible deniability of their conflict. The way that it's told. And this myth is just not the case. Uh, and this is a story about bringing light into the world, right? With power and science. So the, the Tesla narrative, it's powerful, it's alluring, it's even inspiring to some. But if it dissipates when the light is shown on it, then so be it, right? It's like the if it can be killed by the truth, then it deserves to be. Uh, Tesla is an important person in the history of electronical engineering, and he's important in the history of the modern internet culture. But is he 
the patron saint of lost scientific causes? No, because like all saints, the miracles didn't happen. Hmm. And also, yes, Trey, he, he fell in love with a pigeon. I, I'm reading up about him. He said it says he believed that women would be the dominant sex in the future. That, that's kind of cool. Oh. God creates dinosaurs. God destroys dinosaurs. God creates man. Man destroys God. Man creates dinosaurs. Dinosaurs eat man. Woman inherits the earth. Uh, <laughs> Leaved in Amazons or something. <laughs> yeah, so um, I didn't want to bring up late life Tesla as much because he right. loses his goddamn mind. <laughs> like absolutely loses his fucking mind and he starts selling people fake things like he he sells his landlord like all these fake inventions and then when he does die the government comes to check his notes and it's all just a bunch of gibberish okay. <laughs> and they're like oh god we gotta get rid of this i i had no idea that tesla lived for so long i didn't know he died in 1943 i, th I thought he yeah. died way earlier than that that's crazy yeah he, he was an old man um yeah, so so in late in life, when he falls in love with the pigeon, he's quoted as saying, uh, I love that pigeon as a man loves a woman, and she loved me. As long as I had her, there was purpose to my life. Um, <laughs> it says he spent over $2,000 to care for the bird, including a device he built to support her comfortably while her broken wing and leg healed. Wow, look at that. That's, that's pretty crazy. Yeah, and he <laughs> said when the bird died, like, white, laser light like shot out of her face <laughs> which is wow. cool yeah this is cool uh but I, I it would be something more vague but he really he went there what <laughs> yeah i was hoping it was a man loves a woman some more vague way but no yeah so that's my that's my spiel on tesla um mm -hmm. you could get like basically you'll see all these memes about him right like and i don't know He's a really cool guy, but it just yeah. didn't happen the way people think it happened. Right. And this this idea of him being like this patron state of the geeks, I think, is kind of cringy and ahistorical. So, what what did the the comic that you quoted? It said he's the he's like the real geek or something like that. King of oh, the yeah. geeks. Yeah, he's the, he's basically the god of the geeks. That um, that's that is awful. Whoever lived. <laughs> that sucks. Yeah. <laughs> I guess this happens to a lot of historical figures where people will romanticize them a lot. It's getting the historical hero upgrade, as they call it. Yeah, here, I'll send you this famous part of this cartoon. Oh, yes, please. Yes, please. I'll drop it in the thing. <laughs> oh, oh, let's see this. Oh, God, what is this? How to tell if someone is a real geek. Hey, let's smooch our private parts together. Oh, great. I can't. I'm busy calibrating this thing. A geek. Hey, let's smooch our private parts together. Well, okay. Not a real geek. This sucks, Miles. This is like... Oh yeah. That's it. They basically make him as this like brilliant incel overlord of technology <laughs> who like is hate is like stolen from us. And Edison is like this Chad tech bro capitalist with evil. girls. Yeah, how dare he sleep with girls? He's just like me. They're, they're, he, Tesla's just like me. Yeah, so, so yeah, you know, I I was trying to add a little snark to my thing because I think snark is what made him popular. Um, <laughs> but but you know, like it's just not true, man. This, this, 
this sucks. <laughs> this <Yeah>. comic sucks. <laughs> so when you see this like fascination about Tesla, like he's brought up on like ancient aliens and stuff all the right. time, you know, like like he he is a mythological figure as well as being a real person. It, and Miles, if, it wouldn't surprise me if ancient aliens took that pigeon thing and like said that the pigeon was a drone or something like that. Oh fuck yeah. We, I could look into that, see if that's an actual thing. <laughs> I had books of mysteries as a kid, and he would be in them. And this was in the 90s, like before this yeah. kind of rebranding you're talking about with the nerd mm. culture stuff. And he was treated as, oh, he had all these mysterious weapons. He had a beam weapon. And, yeah, the, the feds came to his house after he died and took his papers away. And, you know, they didn't mention that it was gibberish. They said, you know, they implied that it was something very powerful and secret. Um, and, and so he was kind of talked up in that sort of a way. As someone who had all, like in a, in a conspiratorial kind of way, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, and then like Red Alert Two, the Command and Conquer video <laughs> game. I mean, you build Tesla coils and they zap and kill shit. You know, well, in He's, in in Alan Moore's in the first League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, you know, it's taking place yeah. in the South American Victorian world where there is all this kind of steampunk tech, and like one of the hinted explanations for the the difference in the, in the worlds is that there's a device and you can see this kind of crazy steampunk machine, and on the side it says. Um, something like um, Edison, uh, Edison, Tesla, Tron, something, something. The implication being in this world, you know, they overcame their rivalry and got together, uh, you know, pl- and, and, you know, changed history. But they're, they're playing on this presumed idea that, uh, yeah, they had this famous rivalry. Yeah. Um, great comic, by the way. League of Extraordinary Gentlemen is fantastic. One of my favorite comics. Um, don't watch the movie. Uh, also in, in S.H.I.E.L.D., um, the Marvel comic, the which tells the foundation of the building of Shield, which goes all the way back up to like Egypt and shows like Apocalypse fighting with like uh, Imhotep and like oh. um, Shangju, the writer of the Art of War, like he was in Shield, and um, it shows that like Tesla is one of the secret members of Shield as well. So, like this idea of Tesla is like this holder of of truth and, and power and lost possibilities is really part of his myth. And mm. it, it, it was there before this rebranding as like the, the patron saint of geeks. Um, but yeah, I just think it's an interesting phenomenon we're talking about. And it, it, it has like the weirdness. It has the truth to it and it's a little internet culture. So I thought I would rant about it for 35 minutes. All right. That was good. I, I learned a lot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But anyways, Trey, Yes. Enough about all that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's time for Monster Quest. <laughs> monster Quest. <laughs> you got to do a Monster Quest guy. Me? I got to. I got to do the. Uh, the yeah. Or we'll kick so, you off. Well, fuck. Science. Science searches for answers, guys. Head start. <laughs> Witnesses around the world report seeing monsters. Are they real or imaginary? Science searches for answers on Monster Quest. Uh, on, oh. on, on Monster <laughs> Quest. <laughs> okay. I asked for the show if Monster Quest was like your origin story because for me it's like it came out in the the dead point when I wasn't following this stuff. So, oh, it's been weird to come back to. It's been weird to to watch this style of of TV program. My my origin story with like cryptids is going to the library as a kid and they had those books, you know, like the illustrated books that you could flip through that like showed you all this stuff. Um, but Monster Quest came out when I was like at end of high school, just going into Butte College. 
And so I don't know, they'd just be on and I'd watch them with my dad and eat Chinese food. And I, I, I was definitely not believing at the time Monster Quest came out, but I don't know, it was, it was fascinating to see like the um, change from just seeing it in picture books to actually kind of going out there with the camera. So yeah. or with the CGI model. So. Oh yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. I grew I grew up on Monster Quest like as a really young kid, and I remember this episode was like I thought was like the scariest episode. <laughs> <laughs> I could I couldn't sleep or something like that. I remember being very scared. Wow. So what, what episode are we talking about, guys? We better mention it. The ghost <sighs> one. <laughs> <laughs> a heavy sigh. <laughs> yeah. So just just for the record, I do not like ghosts. I'm not a fan. Not interested in ghosts. I've been dreading this episode, so I'm going to be here for it. But I'm going to like ghost the episode a little bit. So good oh, luck really? to you. Oh, is it is it mostly me this episode? I mean, you know, you got a co- you got a, got a got person here. I got, I got things to say about ghosts. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Is I will say things, but I hate ghosts. ghosts. <laughs> <laughs> I have to say, so I watched this one with my partner, and and he was getting very upset watching this. <laughs> it was kind of George funny. is getting upset. <laughs> Yeah, is this uh, is this the only time they they do ghosts? Like, because obviously they're not. God, monsters, I hope right? so. Yeah, I hope so. <laughs> it it was it was it was really bad, but there's a lot of interesting stuff to talk about that I think was unintentional. All right, <laughs> so this is season two, episode four, Ghost, original air date June 11, two thousand eight. And what is our setup here, Trey? Our setup is okay. I, I hope I read the quote correctly. More than one third of Americans believe in ghosts. Yeah, or it might have been two thirds. I think it's more than one third. I'll have to look back at the quote. A bunch uh, of people. It's one third. A, a yeah, large one population third. of America <laughs> <laughs> believes in ghosts. And this episode is talking about little spirits that uh, exist around in the world and are caught on tape and interact with people. And and yeah, they're real. Voices that seem to come out of nowhere. <laughs> yes, voices that okay. seem... Um, they repeated one line throughout the episode. Let me see. It says, invisible to the human eye. They repeat that line like seven times throughout the episode. <laughs> yeah, so there's ghosts, and they mostly fo- focus on ghosts in the United States, but I think the idea is that ghosts are everywhere. Um, okay, so what is a ghost? Uh, in the context of the show, a ghost is a spirit of someone who died presumably in a uh like traumatic death or something okay what Um, is a spirit it is um miles you're asking the wrong person i I don't believe in ghosts (laughs) no no no. (laughs) you believe in ghosts now defend yourself okay um a spirit is the residual aspect of a person's consciousness um that that somehow exists without a brain okay Define consciousness. Uh, oh, it's the way I don't. Miles, you're asking. This is scary. I, I, I don't know what to do. It's uh, <laughs> so you're scared of ghosts, then, Trey? Huh? Uh, well, th- th- it's it's annoying because it seems like like uh, so like a lot of people die every single day, right? Like there's a certain yeah. amount of people, and there's I'm more dead people. For them. There's there's more people dead than there are that are alive, right? Like yeah. So. We should just be overrun with ghosts, but we're not. Yeah. Ghosts only exist in in uh, spooky bed and breakfast places, and, yes. <laughs> and gas stations. I don't know. I'm trying not to derail this whole episode, um, <laughs> but no, I think it's important, guys, because like 
Trey, you're, 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 I think you're portraying accurately how the episode, um, what the episode thinks a ghost is, but I don't, I don't think they make that clear. And in fact, you know, people who criticize this stuff point out that like a ghost isn't, if you don't specify what you're talking, what you're dealing with, you can't measure it. You can't, you know, you can't come to any scientific conclusion about it. And in this episode, it's just a, a grab bag of weird things, right. any of which they will say, well, that's evidence for a ghost. If something moves, that's a ghost. Or if the temperature goes up or down, that's a ghost, you right. know? So, I mean, there is theory to all of this, if you care to go there, but they don't make it very clear. Right. And there's a kind of ambiguity to, you know, what they're claiming this, this central thing is. And, and therefore, you know, but, but they're using the cultural assumption that you just made, which is, yeah, a ghost is the leftover residual whatever of a dead person. And mm. some of the personality is still attached to it. And they even go into some of this stuff like, you know, in order to affect something physical, the spirit or whatnot needs to take energy from somewhere else. And, you know, hence the drops in temperature and stuff like this. And they, they kind of hint once or twice, you know, as to how this whole thing might work. But it, I, I don't think it was actually laid out, was it? No, no, definitely not. Because there's some people that believe like ghosts are like from another dimension and, and stuff like But they don't they don't really go into those specifics. Or then you get the kind of 1970s takes on it where it's very often, oh, you know, it's not religious. It's not the the idea of a soul is is dispensed with or, or a spirit. But um, there is some sort there's some sort of scientific thing that we just don't understand, some element of physics, some way in which, you know, emotion can leave a mark on the landscape somehow, you know. Get emotions are, are hormones and electrochemical phenomena. Mm-hmm. Yes, this is a good point. So, I mean, what do they mean that there's a residual of a chemical and electrochemical phenomenon if the chemicals aren't there? Why why are ghosts almost always found within buildings? Why are they always <laughs> white ladies? All the ghosts why are, are like they... white ladies. It's never a 35-year-old man whose job it was to, like, shovel shit and work hard, and he died a bachelor outside. There's, there's that never, man there's never not cave- a ghost. There's never caveman ghosts. There's never really no, Bronze Age ghosts still lingering around. They're all from like the Victorian era. That, that's when they started. Yeah, yeah. Um. Uh, yeah, pretty much. So it's they're very tied to a specific time and place when you know the idea of like a lot of the conventions of ghost stories came about or were mm. kind of crystallized or were popular. Did, did we evolve the ability to have ghosts? Did other sapien species this, have yeah. ghosts? <laughs> Are there like, Homo yeah. erectus ghosts? That's a yes. Did Australopithecus? Did they have ghosts? <laughs> the, the the idea of the episode is that these ghosts. Um, I'm sorry. See, I'm going to derail this whole thing because I'm just I just I'm too I'm too fucking angry. They linger around and they can do several things. They can lower. It's unclear. I most of the time <laughs> what I hear <laughs> most of the time what I hear is that they can increase. They can lower temperature. Right? They're cold. Okay, so we're looking for something that is attached to a completely physical object called a human, but it's not a physical part of them anymore, Mm -hmm. but it's still them, but still has memories of them, even though its brain, which stores its memories, aren't there. And also, they may be from a different dimension, and also, they can change the temperature in a room. And they can produce sound without a voice, like without a vocal cord. Okay, so they have no physical ability to make sound but sound waves do resonate from them and they can be captured on the infrared spectrum. Oh, yes. Okay. Which is, which is tracks heat, but also basically is, <laughs> a, is a kind of light. Our eyes can't see like you can, you can, in this episode, at least in this context, you can communicate with them. You like, so I think we're dealing with, 
you know, remnant personalities ghost rather than, you know, the kind of mindless repeating ghost. You know, mm. like there's, uh, there's okay. actually and we... something left over from the person there because they communicate with them. Mm. That's right. And there's there's one house particular where this phenomenon is really manifested, right? Yes. It is the most haunted house in America. <laughs> awesome. Uh, the Lizzie Borden house. Yes, of course. Um, yes. And I, I did a lot of, I did a fair bit of research into this story. Um, and, uh, and, and, and the, the monster quest is kind of funny. So, uh, to, to give some context, this, this house, this house is, is not somebody's house anymore. It's, it, it was turned into a bed and breakfast. Heck yeah. <laughs> and the, we talked to the owner of this establishment, Leanne, uh, Wibbler, Wilbur, 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 I think. Wilbur. um, uh, and, uh, she what so she unfortunately she died last year which is which is very sad um and uh but up until then she ran this bed and breakfast and uh and she in the episode she says soon after she bought it the the house became haunted uh very interesting so <laughs> she it's almost like she has a she had a vested interest in uh, uh wait sort of- so this so the ghost what Okay. All right. All right. Let me let me give well, the, so the context the, the for this. The Lizzie murders happen in the 1890s, but there's no ghosts until this woman buys the house. Where where was it? So the Lizzie. So so this is an inter- The the Monster Quest episode has a very interesting take on this. So um, the Lizzie Borden Borden murders happen in 1892, um, where uh, this family, the father Andrew Borden and the stepmother of Lizzie Abby. Uh, were murdered. They were they were brutally murdered with a hatchet. Uh, Abby was struck seventeen times, and Andrew was struck over ten times, or something like that. Um, and Lizzie was the suspect, uh, the the daughter of Andrew and the stepdaughter of Abby. And the idea was that uh, it's unclear. So the thing is, so there's people that have looked into this, and uh, it, so from the beginning, she was suspected as the murderer because she was the one who uh, found the bodies. Yeah, because she did it. Well, we don't know that she did it. So here's the thing: I'm saying she did it. I'm here's my hot take. I actually don't think she did it. How dare you? (laughs) Well, because so they're motivate. So they think that there might have been a financial motive to it. So the father was favoring her stepmother's family. Mm -hmm. Um, He was giving them houses and money while Lizzie and her sister were not getting much in return. And then here's where the pigeons come up, Miles. Her father killed lizzie's pit pet pigeons yeah. shortly before the murder and, and and lizzie was apparently very distraught over this mm-hmm. um uh, but the the murder so she was interrogated by the police um and the problem was it was not voluntary um she was not read her right the, the murder silent. wasn't voluntary no no the interrogation the, was not voluntary okay not an in, involuntary murder she the interrogation was not voluntary she was not read her rights to remain silent and was not provided an attorney so none well, of what she said in the in the interrogation was was uh, viable. What this is what what year was this? Eighteen ninety two. This is before Miranda. Yeah, but they, apparently this was still an important factor because the judges tossed out her interrogation because okay, of those. Okay, so details. it was still untoward. Yeah. Yeah, um, and the problem was so the, the murder trial was nuts. By the way, the murder trial murder trial was crazy. The prosecution during the uh, opening st- uh, like testimony. Uh, opening statements they accidentally knocked over a bag that was on a table and it was, was filled with in it no it was filled with the skulls of the victims and it fell oh. on the floor oh, <laughs> and and lizzie like fainted 
she she like fainted because it was so disturbing uh, and they had to they had to adjourn the court for that day Jesus. um i know it, it was a crazy uh thing and yeah so essentially the uh, the she was acquitted because the the defense exploited the prosecution's timeline where it just didn't really work where if lizzie had done the murders um, she would have had only had like eight to 13 minutes to get rid of all the evidence and wash the blood from her clothing and stuff. Um, in, in like these murders were really, really bloody. Like somebody went crazy with the hatchet. Yeah. The um, hatchet. Right. Yeah. And, and it had similarities to a serial killer murder that was in a nearby town or something. Um, so she got acquitted cause there just wasn't enough evidence to convict her. Um, and, but but afterwards, everybody like thought she did it, so she was ostracized by the community, and um, like she, there were plays made out of the story and like children's songs and stuff. Um, Heck yeah, children's songs. <laughs> and like they, the you children's know? songs explicitly went like she, she, the children's songs wrongly said that she did it like forty times. Or, like she, yeah, Lizzie Borden, Tuppenax. Yeah, I know that. I, Sing I the song. Do it. <laughs> it's Lizzie. Well, it's it's the big. It's a bit gross, but Lizzie Borden took an axe and gave her mother 40 wax. And when she saw what she had done, gave her father 41. I presume the exact numbering of that is not accurate. Yeah, that's not accurate. It, it's okay. it's like far less than that. Um, I like it. But yeah, you, you see how like the pop culture turned, like, even though she was acquitted, everybody like thought she did it, which I'm not entirely convinced. Like the, I don't know. It's, it, it's a murder in the 1800s. Like, what do you expect? Fine. You swayed me. I did. Oh, nice. Yeah. I should be a lawyer. <laughs> should be Saul Goodman. Should be Harvey Birdman, attorney at law. Who is the man in the suit? Who is the cat with the beak? Do you really want to feel him? Harvey, attorney. Habeas Corpus, Harvey Attorney, Harvey Birdman, Attorney at Law. Um, How curious that a like a ghost, a ghost uh, haunting would happen in a house already notorious for such a such a lurid story, and not just yeah. in a house where like an old person died in their sleep. <laughs> right. Well, here's the thing. So Monster Quest, uh so Leanne Leanne bought the house and turned it into a bed and breakfast and I I kind of think it's a little messed up, but uh she kind of like exploited the murder site and by turning it into like a tourist attraction. So you can go to their website, right? Mm-hmm. And uh they have a gift shop. Yeah. You can buy a bloody axe at the gift shop. You can't. That's that's messed up. I did not know that. That's that's like, not great. People died, so it's thirty dollars, and you can buy bloody axe, and uh, you can buy a creepy doll, and you can buy a teddy bear with an axe that says Lizzie Borden House Teddy Bear. It's twenty dollars. They have nine hundred ninety nine in stock currently. Oh my god, nine hundred ninety nine in stock! Like, Holy crap! <laughs> in one of the rooms where there's a grand piano and there's uh, like sheet music beside it, and there's some tune that was popular at the time and it's called something like you can't chop up your parents in Massachusetts. No. And it's like, this is, I mean, this is beyond, this is bigger than just the house, you know, like all over the world, places where something famous and tragic happened becomes a place uh, for tourists and you can go and see it. But the way in which you present it, you know, there's a variety of, of different ways of presenting it. 
Well, so here's the thing with the Lee, the the Lizzie Borden house is that uh, according to Monster Quest and, and Leanne, it was haunted by the two murder victims. Um, and I think they imply that Lizzie also haunts the house. The, oh, the, and like two murderer. other was it two other children who were unconnected yes. to the? <laughs> yes, it was two children that died next door. Yes. Apparently their ghosts are haunting it. And then the funniest one was a caretaker named Michael who died years later in Connecticut in like a completely different state apparently also haunts this house. <laughs> okay. So ghost and, and by the way, by the way, Lizzie Borden died in a completely different house. She she did not die in this house. So, so ghosts I don't know can why move scared. to houses, but they choose a house to stay in and they congregate as together. Ghosts yes, move in packs. Ghosts can can haunt houses in a completely different state, Miles. They they can cross okay. like the like rivers and valleys to. So are ghosts animalia? Um, I think they're oh. Homo sapiens. Homo well, sapiens yes. ghostia. Yeah, because because they they're an evolved trait, then right? So like humans evolved <sighs> the ability to create ghosts. So they're animals. <laughs> the ghost gene. Um. Anyways, um. So that's like the I'm main. Sorry, you guys crux. hate me. I'm sorry. The main crux of this episode is the Lizzie Borden house. Um. Mm-hmm. But there's other stuff where they took. Uh, so ghosts are allegedly caught on camera. Um. There was a Vatican video. The video taken in. Uh, I think yes. Saint Peter's Basilica. That one's um, real. Of a, a yellow, uh, rag App- floating App- in the sky. Apparition. <laughs> apparition sorry we'll get to that we'll get to that um and then there was one in uh this was my favorite parmar ohio mm-hmm. uh, at a gas station blue ghost blue, blue ghost flew out in front of the camera and uh, blue ghost from pac-man, from Pac-Man and, and attacked a uh person doing their gas it didn't attack them the person doing their gas didn't even notice it happened i wish they were attacked that'd be fucking rad almost like it's almost as if it was something really small was in front of the camera and no flying around. I, I watched a documentary once where a person um received oral sex from a ghost that was i think that was, was ghostbusters, that I ghostbusters. Think that was... oh i thought that was a documentary <laughs> trey isn't there a point speaking of ghostbusters isn't there a point at which one like they they call the creature like a full-blown apparition yes <laughs> direct <laughs> ghostbusters terminology like that that's mm-hmm. so has affected or infected this whole field where like stuff that they made up to try and sound scientific, but also be silly and funny is now being presented straight. Well, Dan, Dan Aykroyd wasn't being funny. That's like, true. And he <laughs> he well, full blown believes that stuff. True. The, the gas station one was interesting where they said the reason why a ghost would be at the gas station is because allegedly it's built on a native American burial oh, yeah. ground, which, Oh man, <laughs> hot, hot, sweet, white cliche. That is Jesus. Come on. Well, that's the thing is like there's there's been humans around for so long, like almost everywhere is like a burial crown. Yeah, like, right. I mean, like, the whole <laughs> culture of people lived here for a thousand years. <laughs> like like the city of Rome, like, oh, that's got to be completely haunted. Every single house in in Rome or London or, or New York has to be haunted. Like, it, Do you uh, think <laughs> the Ghostbusters would have been a very like profitable business right like i mean like they're like fucking rats or locusts just ghosts all over all the time yeah uh what else happened oh and then there was the gettysburg video where this this uh, gentleman was filming at the gettysburg for non-americans uh gettysburg was the 
was it the bloodiest battle in American history? Is that what it's second? Called? Second. Oh, what's the yeah. first? Antietam. Antietam. You're right. Oh, it's, but you, I, I need to check up on my history. Um, very during the Civil War, uh, Confederacy versus Union. A lot of people died, and uh, yeah, like eight thousand people. Eight thousand people and Monster Quest says that the ghosts of the soldiers are still haunting the uh, battlefield. And yeah, pretty, pretty popular ghost spot. Yeah. Okay, so that's what we're looking for, right? We're looking yes. for um, old people that live mm-hmm. in old houses that mm-hmm. didn't live there until people bought the houses. Mm-hmm. We're looking for blue things at gas stations mm-hmm. that were not seen except by cameras. Oh, we're looking oh. for floating yellow things in the Vatican. Mm-hmm. We are looking for voices mm-hmm. that people hear on bad recording equipment. And um, we're looking for white blurry things in Gettysburg. Right. Okay. And, and, and uh, an interesting note is so in the Lizzie Borden house, um, there's a lot of haunting events. And, and remember that guy who was sitting on the edge of the bed and his legs lifted up? <laughs> it's pretty scary. Yeah. So <laughs> he says that like they lifted up involuntarily as if some other force did it and the video is so rubbish it's just it's lifting his legs up. I, I love the reenactment for that that segment because it yeah. looks like it's clearly not a, a person's actual legs it looks like like they put stuffing inside a pair of jeans you get yeah, you gotta get the prop legs out here the prop legs out and like they bend like to a grotesque degree where they're like the knees are almost <laughs> bending forward <laughs> Okay, so this is all part of our search. So we go on this the monster quest searches for answers, right? Mm-hmm. And and what what do we do to try to to try to find this thing? So so the main thing is the Lizzie Borden house. So let's let's start yes. with that. What yeah. what does the crack team at Monster Quest do to prove that there are ghosts in this house? For the Lizzie Borden house, we have two paranormal and investigators, uh, Dave Manganelli and Al Rubert. Um, and they go to the house with infrared cameras, uh, EVP, uh, which stands for electric, electronic voice phenomena. Uh, they try to, re- which is a ghost essentially speaking, apparently. And uh, they go into the house and do like a one night stay there and see if any haunting happens. Okay. Yeah. Um, so they, and then the, the plan is you sleep and you get woken up by a ghost, maybe, or. You you just you see, that see that I, I was thinking about ghost adventures because I watched a lot of ghost adventures. Uh, it's my yeah. guilty pleasure of mine with Zach Baggins, and that's what they do. The, the worst of all the Baggins, he could never <laughs> take the ring to Mordor. Baggins, Baggins, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and he uh, like so with the go the standard ghost adventures format is that you go to a supposedly haunted house. There's like literally thousands of them in America. And you stay the night. And well, of course, when you're staying up for 10 hours or something, or 12 hours, um, something, something's going to happen. So, yeah, I guess they, have, they leave cameras all around the place. They do all kinds of stuff. So that's what the, the Lizzie Borden house, it's supposedly the most haunted house in America. So there has to be well, something. I agree. It is. It is the most haunted house in America. Um, <laughs> that's a fact because. <laughs> All the houses in America are equally haunted. So every Cause, house. Because in the past, this is a hot spot for paranormal investigators like okay. uh, ghost teams where there's Matt Mo- Motz, Motz, who uh, was doing a, his team was there and the camera moved. Oh, yeah. It, wow. It, 
moved slightly, um, but n- nobody was watching it. So, or, or really, like there wasn't like uh, camera, another camera watching it move on its own. So, yeah, because it didn't, it, it either uh, didn't happen or they bumped it. Could have been gravity. Could have been set up kind of poorly, and it just kind of slid. now are ghosts affected by gravity. I assume that they have to be because if not, they just they'd fly off into space. They uh, the Earth's moving so fast that they have. Yeah, to. well, gravity's not real. Earth is a flat plane, so uh, one third of Americans believe in ghosts. Miles, so how, how many people? What's the percentage of people that believe in flat Earth? <laughs> uh, okay, let me look it up. Flat Earth percentage U.S. Sixty-six percent of millennials believe the Earth is round. Okay, so it would be sixty-six minus one hundred minus sixty-six. Or wait, <laughs> this is where you learn that. I'm, Trey. Thirty-four. There you go. This is where you learn that I'm challenged with math. Um, what? No, thirty-four percent of people can't be flat earth. That's too big. That's too big. That, that said, firmly believe in in round okay. Earth. So it, it, it's probably even a smaller. It's probably like ten percent or something. Do you guys know the the Survey of American Fears. Do you know this thing? Yeah, yeah. No, it happened a while ago, but yeah, yeah, I remember. This is one from 2018. This is Chapman University. And so in that monster quest, they say, what, one third of Americans believe in ghosts. This mm-hmm. one from 2018 says 58% for ghosts or spirits. Nope. And the next the next highest is 57 for like ancient advanced civilizations such as Atlantis. Oh, God. Which that stuff is just so popular, isn't it? That that yeah, I get. I that's surprisingly more popular than I thought. Yeah, would you have so, guessed that ghost is the highest single one here? Ghost, I expected would be higher. I, I grew up in a Christian household and like with Christian neighbors and stuff, so like ghost is kind of like a given. Right. What's the Christian explanation for ghost? Yeah, is that is it that common? Um. See, my, my I don't mean to uh, out my family. My family believes in witches. My family. Believes yeah, Christians in believe in witches for sure. I guess I guess do demons count as ghosts or is that something no. different? Okay, so if you're the Go, one, ghosts are feminine, demons are masculine. Are they? Oh, I've decided. Yeah, <laughs> um, I think the idea with ghosts in Christianity is that they're you're right. That doesn't make actually much sense because you either go to heaven or you go to hell. That's what I'm saying. How does this shit make sense in any I worldview? <laughs> I I. I th- okay, okay. I, I need to amend my statement. I guess we be- they believed in. I almost said we. Uh, I, guess, <laughs> I guess they believed in demons. Um, and demons. I kind of, at this, by the way. If you don't want to talk about it, <laughs> oh no, it's fine. It's fine. They they know they know that I'm skeptical. <laughs> they know they're full of shit. So. <laughs> uh, demons. So I guess they believe in demons. So that's the thing. Is there's there's different nomenclature for astral ethereal beings i guess okay but um, most americans are theists and a lot of americans apparently believe in ghosts so there's a lot of crossover see, here see yeah. my my grandma so a good example is my grandma my grandma believes in witches but not go uh, w- believes in witches but not aliens so yeah, well the bible mentions witches so yeah yeah and then like john so i don't know Thou oh, shall not suffer a witch to live Witches have a big, you know, they're a big part of certain kinds of fundamentalist culture. Whereas, yeah. like, they, they don't have any opinion on the aliens, do they? I mean, really. My my grandma thinks aliens are, quote, ridiculous. So, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. Um, <laughs> and, and that I should not give my lock of hair to a witch. So. Um, oh yeah <laughs> we know no so okay okay i talked to my grandma so i went off to poland over the summer to do archaeology 
And my grandma was specifically told me not to bring a human bone back to the United States. So like she thought I was going to smuggle a human bone out of Poland from my dig site. And <laughs> she said that a ghost would haunt me. So I guess huh. that's, it's contradictory. So she believes in heaven and hell, but that like spirits can still remain in the, in the, the earthly plane as well. Interesting. So I'm, I think- I'm going to posit that um, people who have these um, supernatural beliefs specifically don't have them founded on natural ideas. And so they can't make sense and don't make sense and are always contradictory. Yeah. I guess the idea is that it, it, it is, it's what they don't really have a, an ingrained consistent uh, mm. worldview that it changes from time to time. Cause my grandma does like watching the haunting and yeah. like, uh, those ghost shows. So, uh, all right, Monster Quest. Sorry, we're getting, I get yeah, off topic. Yeah, this episode so is going to be all over the place. It's just, it's no, my fault because so I'm not like, keeping us on track because I hate it. So, no, it it's kind of sucks. Like, like when they interviewed that poor, uh, that poor mom. Do you remember oh, that story? Oh, jeez, that was so sad. Yes. Yeah, so yeah. What's the setup of that, Trey? So the setup. This lady, her name is Debbie, and her her son died uh, when he was pretty young, like when he was a teenager, I think. And um, she believes that she uh, contacted his spirit and he talks to her from time to time um, on those like EVP messages and says Mm -hmm. like, hi, mom, or or, I'm okay and stuff. And I looked up what happened to like, so with Monster Quest, it's always interesting to see what happens to the the people afterwards. And it says that she was the founder of uh, them, T-H-E-M, the Haunting Mm -hmm. Evidence Messengers, uh, which is a paranormal research team uh and it's essentially like a group of people that kind of like i think it's a little bit like getting over grief of like a dead relative and that they kind sure, of gather it's a, it's together. A coping. yeah and in this episode you really see that on full display where it's very very sad that her son died and it's it's kind of clear that she's she, hearing his voice in a, a evp or or what she believes is his voice in an evp uh, is is very reassuring to her. So what yeah. is an EVP? This is a tool that they're using in the search and it's using a lot of ghost hunting. What is an EVP? It's an electronic voice phenomena. And it's uh, okay. essentially just a fancy way to say like a ghost's voice, like a spirit's voice. Um, mm-hmm. And I guess the idea, it's a, it's a human voice that's produced uh, out of thin air. Uh, uh, I have a yeah. small EVP story which I came across oh. recently. Now this, um, as far as I know, this is fairly recent information. So their EVP is tied to the work of a guy called Friedrich Jorgensen originally, right? Now he wasn't the first person ever to do it. There were precursors, but it kind of any, any most histories of, of the idea will focus on this guy. He was a um, part Swedish guy and he was working in Sweden in the 1950s. And the story goes that in 1959, he was at his house out in the countryside and he was attempting to record birdsong. He was a TV producer and an artist and kind of a fairly well-connected media guy. But he was interested in birdsong. So he's recording. And he said that when he played back the tape, he heard a voice speaking, oddly enough, in, in Norwegian, as I as I recall. And he didn't know what this meant. So he at first, according to the way he tells the story in his book later, he didn't have a, a framework. He didn't have, you know, to explain this. There was no worldview particularly. He just had this unexplained thing. And I mean, one of his first ideas was that is this coming from outer space somehow? Is this a kind of a Tesla contacting the Martians kind of a situation? 
But what I found out recently was, so the, um, there's a guy called Patrick Ganson who is um, a Scandinavian fellow. And he's a good guy. He's a good follow on Twitter. He's an occult historian. And he was talking about this guy, Jorgensen. So I'd read this story about Jorgensen, um, you know, recording the bird song over and over again. And he eventually comes to believe that it is the sound of spirits that he's hearing. And he tries it again in different places and he gets more messages and um, he kind of refines his technique for how to how to get them. But uh, what Janssen said was that, um, I think it was like, it was about two weeks before this preliminary EVP event. Jurgensen is visited by this uh, German guy, a fellow named Karl Veit, who is um, a UFO guy. And he's not only any old UFO guy, he is the founder of, of various large German um, UFO groups uh, in the middle 20th century. And he has, he is one of the European representatives of George Adamski. So like the first large, important sort of contactee guy, you know, the, the, a guy who helps to create one of the first flying saucer religions or cults, if you like. So mm. this is this is who Carl Veit is. He's like the local representative for this kind of UFO cult. And he visits Jurgensen. And in his book, Veit um, later on later says that they're sitting on the porch of his country house and they're talking and he's telling him about UFOs and the, the space people and the space brothers. And he says that a, a giant a cigar-shaped flying saucer or spaceship hovers above his house for an hour while they're having this conversation and then flies away. For an hour? So, yeah. <laughs> and obviously and nobody thought, I, I, I don't know whether anybody thought to photograph it, perhaps not. But the, the idea being that, like, it's, it strikes me that Jorgensen could very much have gone off in that direction with his EVP. He could have interpreted it as, oh, this is a UFO contactee thing. But instead, a few a few years pass, and by 1964, he's writing about it um, the way we know now, as oh no, no, it's a spirit thing. But it just it's it's such a re- timely reminder that these things are so connected, yeah. Um, and you have the same people at different points in their career, you know, advocating one or the other, and uh, you know they can easily slide from one to the other. And I mean, Adamski himself, before flying saucers became a thing in 1947 he was peddling new age or pre-new age cults uh, i think he had a group called the order of tibet or something out in palomar in california and, and you know he was doing all the same shtick he just he, he didn't give it the sci-fi veneer that he did after flying saucers came along so mm. I, w- I was knocked out to see that this kind of pioneer of evp had such close connections to the world of flying saucers and contactees so that's wow. yeah yeah. I did not know so that's, that. That's not mine. That's that's not my finding. That's Patrick uh, Patrick Janssen. So it's all interconnected, huh? Because I, I I've always heard EVP in like ghost adventure shows and stuff like that, or uh, what's that movie series with the family, uh, the two the husband wife. Oh, the Warrens. The Warrens. Yeah. Did they talk about? I think they do EVPs. Well, too. I mean, in real life, they were hardcore Catholics, and they had a demonic interpretation for a lot of this stuff. So, to them, oh, yeah. Do you see? Do you ever see that film, White Noise? No, no. What is EVP? White Noise? Oh, it's a film from two thousand five. Uh, I think um, Michael Keaton's in it, and um, yeah. it, you know, it's about a guy who loses a family member, and start they start communicating with him through you know the static in his radio and stuff like this. So it's a it's a fictional. Hollywood take on um, on the EVP situation. Mm. Uh, yeah. That's well, in this so episode, the, the the whole uh, the whole thing with EVPs is that they do the EVPs. So they get sorry, they get a guy named Tim Owen, who they say is a voice recognition expert. Um, and I looked this guy up. He actually helps out with like uh, crime scene stuff. Like he he's uh, often in like court to analyze uh, audio footage to confirm like it's a person in the in the audio. 
Um, and he was really cool where he's like a, he seemed like a pretty skeptical guy. Um, like where he was like, I don't really believe in EVPs. Most of the time it's, it's a lot of white noise that people are just hearing what they want to hear in it. And I, I can, can, I can also take this opinion as well. Like, um, when that, when the, the, the mother played the audio, she's like, oh, in this audio, my son is saying like, I love you or, um, something like that. She plays the audio and it just, it's just like, it's like, it's, (laughs) it's it's nonsense. It's, and you feel really bad, but you're like, this poor woman is, is hearing, hearing her, her poor son's voice and this stuff. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, it's nice. It's refreshing actually to have his attitude in this because he's allowed to be skeptical for most of the most of his screen time in this. And you know, they they provide him with some of the sound clips, and you know, some for some of the really ambiguous ones, he he's he's straight up by admitting that they're not great. Yeah, yeah. And the, but the thing is, they they take him out of context for like the intro or the commercial breaks, where it's like, you hear that, I hear that. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's monster. That's the Monster Quest formula right there. <laughs> The one time he's he's like not sure that he the, the one time he's not one hundred percent sure he can't write it off. That's the bit they play. Yes, yeah. Well, that's the thing is I took notes on what they said about him. They said, let's see, uh, they 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 he said they could uh, he couldn't rule out the paranormal, and I'm like, that's not what he said. <laughs> that's not what he said. Did you notice the bit where I think I think it's Al Ruber, one of the paranormal investigator guys? He, he's explaining the kind of equipment that they use, and while hmm. the while the cameras seem quite sophisticated, you know, they have. Um, yeah, they have the infrared and everything like that. He said for the EVP, for the audio recording, he said, you want really basic old-fashioned text. You know, you want cassette tapes, basically. <laughs> and uh, his explanation for it really baffled me because he, he says, you know, when you have basic tech, then there's less filters, quote-unquote filters, and that allows, quote, out-of-the-box stuff to get through. Interesting. Um, I, I, I missed him saying that. He said, yeah. if you have more modern tech, it puts up these barriers that the spirits can't penetrate <laughs> somehow. It, he uses it, one it, of those. He uses one of those eighteen hundreds like cameras, the the ones that are, have exposure and stuff on the film. <laughs> so his analogy is basically like, look, when I take a really clear photo, I don't see the weird blobs that I am <laughs> telling you are monsters. Or ghosts or spirits. That's well, why we have to film in a low quality. Well, they they used they in at one segment they used a lot of the spirit photographs from like the late eighteen hundreds to early nineteen hundreds. Um, there's like oh those spirit photographs where it's somebody a human like a person sitting in front of a, a picture taking a portrait and then like yeah. they'll see like a spirit. But those were way more clear than the ghost pictures we get now. <laughs> that's what's <laughs> that's what's funny like. Ghosts used to be far more, they would put on much more of a performance in the past. <laughs> they would make stuff fly around. They'd play trumpets. They would appear as full <laughs> of apparitions and photographs. We can't get them to do that anymore. There was there was the one picture where it was like a uh, a lute or something like that that was floating in the air. It was like a guitar at like a yeah, table. Yeah, that, was, that, that was all really common. That was absolutely standard part of, you know, Victorian seance um, tropes. Ghosts have gotten really kind of lazy. They, they're very shy now. They're very boisterous back then. And now, well, like it's watching these guys <laughs> prowl around the house with these like pieces of equipment. It's it's like you're you believe in this thing which is real, but also it's so weak. It's you know it can barely right. affect the real world. So so much so that you can only you can only detect it. You know with the, with these very sensitive pieces of equipment because it's it, the effect it's able to have on the physical world is is so slight. Right. They, they, that's the thing is like, they have a whole night, a whole, like, uh, like 
10 hours, 12 hours of audio recordings and video. And it's only, they only get sure. And so they only get this like is the most haunted house in America. <laughs> so especially, so when you're going through that, what they don't show is like the dozens and dozens of hours of nothing. There's literally just nothing that sounds anything like a human voice or sounds or anything. Um, it's always like, right. 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 Like the, the sure, the sure in that. And is they're like, awful. Oh, that says invest in crypto. I heard it. <laughs> That's the thing is ghosts never say full sentences. They always say like one word or like a couple syllables. They don't, they don't say like a fully articulated thing. Um, Cause ghosts can't fucking enunciate. Apparently they lose the ability. No, it, Miles, when you edit, can you edit in the sure, the sure that that is like the big piece of evidence? It goes sure yeah. or whatever. It doesn't sound like that. It goes, it, it sounds like that. <laughs> I mean, we pretty much had signed off and there's uh, some small talk going on and a voice comes on the tape. It's very close to the tape recorder. And the voice is saying, so. And I Tom, mean, give, the- give the show some credit, I suppose, if you have to. Like, <laughs> assuming that that is not, you know, a bit of trickery. Like, assuming that it's legitimate and honest, you know, it's an, it's an odd sound. I don't know what it is. Um, I don't. Well, that's so. A, so like that's the thing is when you're editing audio, like we all three of us, I think, edit audio for video or for podcasts mm-hmm. and stuff. Like the, you'll get that constantly when you're editing. Like you, your your lips will make a clicking noise or you'll brush your, your arm on your clothes or something as you move. Like yeah. that's just, it's just background noise and, and, and it's not. And, and the thing is, is humans are so used to identifying words or phrases and stuff in our daily lives that we'll hear it. If we really, really want to hear it in complete, like in just in uh natural phenomena or in nothing. Yeah. yeah. It's just audio pareidolia. Yeah. yeah. The blue ghost. We go to the blue ghost, Trey. What's the blue ghost? The blue ghost in the gas station is very obviously a a bug, and oh. they get this. How did they, they come this, to that conclusion? Well, because they get this guy. They get the secu- the guy who installed the security camera, and yeah. he he gets some tweezers and holds up some plastic <laughs> bugs in front of the camera, and it's like an exact match. And then at the end, he says, "I, I couldn't." He couldn't create the fluid movements, and it's like, of course he couldn't, because he's holding a yeah. pair of tweezers. <laughs> When he said, you know, the way that like one of the things that is when you first see that video and it's like this weird blue blob, you know, Mm. it looks striking and unusual, if nothing else. But when he says, oh, because of the nature of the camera and it's infrared for, you know, working at night, anything up close to the lens gets turned blue. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Oh, man. Yeah, I think like they they totally got an expo found an explanation for it, and then they just they didn't accept their own explanation. Yeah, <laughs> yeah they yeah. So he minute. basically replicated the phenomenon, but some of the things he did couldn't replicate the movement. So they're like, "Well, who knows?" <laughs> it's like the like, reason it can fluid okay. movements is because it's a bug and it it's not a piece of plastic. Like, <laughs> yeah. um, and then so then they had the Gettysburg. I was I was disappointed with Monster Quest with the Gettysburg footage, um, where they didn't they so when you see the Gettysburg footage, there's these little shapes or figures walking um, in the woods behind where they're filming, and they think that those are ghosts floating in the in the air of soldiers. Um, I would have really really liked. And this would have been a very good piece. Of, 
they're well I, i'm assuming they're not <laughs> um i'm the what i would have really really wanted monster quest to do is to actually go to the location and try to get the exact place because this is what you would do as a scientist you would go to the the, the place and try to recreate the conditions and see if okay maybe there's a trail that goes behind there and although it looks like it's flat it actually isn't and there's a hill and maybe those are people walking on the trail um they didn't do that <laughs> and uh i think what they concluded was is that the images were looping what they say it's almost yeah the, the video editor who watched it said it's almost as if somebody is looping so he suggested that it's a hoax in that yeah. mm-hmm. um Somebody yeah, like projected hope. projected an image onto like a, a piece of glass and it made it look like it's on there, which is very possible. I would say, yeah, it seems possible. Um, I, I just would have liked for them to investigate that more. Like that's what you do. You go to this, the filming site and look at the conditions and stuff and examine that. And they just didn't bother doing that. No, but they had to. Get the bug guy out. That's that's. <laughs> they had to get that guy holding the tweezers. That's where the budget yeah. needed to go, or they had to they waste time. To, like, go on site for that one, but not the Gettysburg one. Right. They they decided to go to this random ass gas station, <laughs> but not to Gettysburg. Um, <laughs> and their History Channel, History Channel would totally. They could use the footage for something else. They could collect that footage and yeah. reuse it in another documentary. That would have been great. Um, yeah, and then and then so and then they could have removed that stupid segment on the Vatican. That that was a waste of everybody's time. Okay, so what was the floating Vatican ghost? It was a piece of cloth on a stick. Oh yeah, <laughs> which is a common occurrence at the Vatican, apparently. Yeah, tour guides need to to have something up in the air for their tours to find them. So yeah, it's just a a coat that was hanging on the thing, and that got on the news, Miles. That got on Canadian news. Well, that's I was not seen as such good news, evidence. Sadly. <laughs> um, I guess they yes. debunked it though, so that's good. Yeah, I guess they were honest enough to do that. Like, why um, even bring it up, though? Right? Like, why even bring it up? It's just filling time. Um, and and then so, like, I guess the main focus was the Lizzie Borden house, which I, I bet they probably yeah. paid a, a hefty price to get to rent out that whole building. Yeah, that whole bed it's and a tourist trap. It's a tourist trap, and the people involved obviously have a vested interest in it being haunted. Um, did um, did you come across? So Le- Leanne Wilbur, you mentioned she died um, last year, but yes, like almost immediately before that, she sold the house to a company called US Ghost Adventures. Oh, is that is that related to Zach Baggins? Is that his company? No, there was a name attached to it. It wasn't him, though. Let me look it up. But it's it's some similar some similar thing, no doubt. So well, I, it's I it's kind of messed up that somebody uh, apparently somebody soon after her death started impersonating her on Facebook and saying that they were her from the afterlife. Yeah, I saw that. I was like, oh god, like damn. I mean, it's kind of <laughs> gross, but also if you were taking some real people who got murdered and profiting off of that, you're kind of doing the same thing. So, yeah, I mean, you know, if it comes around, goes around on that one. It seems, by the way, it seems like her cat, you, you saw like a black cat in the episode. It seems like her, that, that her black cat, Max, is still alive, which is amazing to me at this. Oh, good there's for a, the cat. Like, there's like a, like over like a decade old cat, because this is 2018. And she, in the article that I read was 2021, or sorry, 20, sorry 2008. So 2008. <laughs> How old is guy, this cat? Okay, so the guy's name who owns this company is Lance Zal. Do you know who that is? 
I don't. That that name's not familiar to me. Lance Zell. Ghosts. <laughs> I can't find anything now. Okay. Anyway, it looks like um, you can expect to see the house featured as some sort of paranormal destination sometimes. Oh, right. How exciting. The most, uh, <laughs> these, um, that poor caretaker that died in Connecticut is still lingering around in there. <laughs> so their main, so let me talk about their main findings. Um, or do, do you want to talk about their main findings? What, what do you think? What did you notice that they, what did they claim to have found at the, during the investigation in the house? I think the main, I mean, the main thing that they got was those audio clips, yeah. which was like two words. Sure. Um, and so. Yes, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I, I also, always wonder, I always wonder what it's like behind the scenes on these shows where like, you probably have a mix of people who are true believers and people who are maybe a bit more cynical about it. Mm-hmm. And I wonder whether there's, you know, discussions about how, how much to push the, the footage or how much to try and make it sound like you know, try and make more out of it than really happened. Yeah. I, I was interesting miles to see what Doug had to think or Doug hijack had to think of this episode. Um, I messaged him. He had not responded to me yet though. Oh, didn't he? Cause, cause he didn't, he didn't feature at all in the episode. And I, I guess I should have looked for his name in the credits or anything if he was involved in this one in particular, but it seems like the type of thing that he would have not of particularly liked. Um, and then, Oh, the one thing that I thought was really kind of funny was the toy chest. <laughs> which monster quest claims was blazing hot. Um, but if you actually look at the meter and take the time to, cause the meter is in uh, Celsius, I think. Uh, but if you actually take the time, so uh, most Americans aren't really familiar with Celsius, but if you take the time to translate it, the, they go that the thing is blazing hot. And, um, and if you look at it, it's actually room temperature. It's like, not, it's not blazing hot. It's just relative to how their meters set. Um, it was it was like the hottest area was like 68 degrees uh, Fahrenheit or 20, 20 degrees Celsius, which is which is literally room temperature. <laughs> yeah. um, so I and also, um, oh, also, I thought ghosts were supposed to be cold. It's interesting that they're able to make things hot as well. Oh, so so this this comes up in, in ghost literature. So the, the, the theory is that in some cases, at least they heat up the objects that they touch when they so like in poltergeist cases when they yeah. throw things across the room the investigators will often pick them up and say oh it's it's hot to the touch or it's you know the body t- room body temperature or something like that huh Ooh, I, interesting I, I can't explain it any more than that <laughs> okay so like they like suck out the temperature in some areas and they just distribute it in others maybe it's like the sucking is is the you know is them gearing up to do something physical and then when they do something physical heat is created Okay. I don't know. Okay. <laughs> I thought it was interesting at one point that they noticed that the wall was really, really cold, and they said there might be some missing insulation in that wall. <laughs> <laughs> that this bed and breakfast is is freezing, and <laughs> like it's going to be miserable for the people living, like staying there. <laughs> Maybe that's why she had cold fingers on the back of her neck. It's it's just cold. It's a cold building. They don't have good insulation. <laughs> So I don't, I don't watch a lot of these kind of ghost hunting shows. I know there's loads of them. Mm. And, um, I, 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 got to, I have to imagine this is fairly par for the course with the, you know, prowling around the house at night, trying to generate yes. some tension, a lot of things happening in the dark and people looking at. So like just watching this as someone who doesn't watch a lot of those ghost shows, I do, I do notice the tropes from like older films. Um, and, it, you know, it reminds me of stuff like Poltergeist, where, you know, <laughs> the, the university sends in a team to investigate and all that's based on the work of like, 
J.B. Ryan and even go back to people like Harry Price who had this attitude that the, the paranormal was something that, you know, you could measure and you could test scientifically and hence the kind of fetishization of, of all the tech that they use, which again, mm. a lot of it comes from Ghostbusters as well. Yeah. Um, and I don't know if anyone's ever seen Ghost Watch, which is, was a British kind of an April Fool's type hoax, which was shown on TV and it's got all these British presenters, you know, in the in a haunted house somewhere in London and it's all based on the on the 70s Enfield Poltergeist case, but it was presented as real and it, there's loads of people who were traumatized by it. And you can you can see people talking on forums even today who remember the initial broadcast. I think it was 1992. But again, all the same ideas, all the same tropes are there. And kind of about 10 years later, you start to get all of these ghost hunting shows starting to pop up. And I mean, a lot of them came from the UK first and mm. they, they kind of set the stage and then it migrated over. Oh, now we're, now we're stuck with them. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, that's the thing is like the, the ghost shows, they always do. What's the, another technology that they use? They use the, the, the ghost box or something like oh, that. Yeah. That thing. And I, I've, I've always been like, how does that work exactly? Like the ghost manipulates radio waves to speak or something. Is that the one where like you, your, your, your senses are blocked and then you listen to a radio and it, it, I, I can't remember. I think you're right. There's a radio involved. It's like a thing that cycles through radio signals. And like the idea is that the ghost can manipulate radio waves to create sentences from like radio broadcasts. You you basically pick out the snatches of audio that seem to make sense to you. Right, right. Yeah, you're you're there for several hours. And of course, you're going to get something that vaguely resembles what you want. Um, Yeah, yeah. (laughs) I I think like the Zach Baggins thing, because Miles, you brought up like Ghostbusters. where like the the uh, ghost does some some naughty things. That's that's the thing that actually happens in ghost adventures commonly. Wait, what? Someone gets their dick sucked by a ghost in ghost adventures? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Zach Baggins is like he's like the Chad. They kind of act like he's like the hot man, and that like the ghosts find him irresistible. So whenever there's like what? a prostitute ghost or like a female ghost, like a succubus, he's like he's like, why are you touching my belt? Why are you undoing my belt buckle? What the heck? What? <laughs> Do the gay dude ghost not like him, or uh, we we don't know that. That's uh, that hasn't been tested. Um, okay. It's just the hot ladies, though. It's just like the yeah the the prostitute ghost. Like I remember he went to the the west to like a ghost town, and that was specifically something that happened. Um, he yes. went to the west. Yes, I mean, he, like, he like, went like to the past. Like I mean, no, 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 no. Like a a wild west town, like a ghost town. An alleged ghost town. That so I was like, I haunted. live in the West, but it's not. We don't in have Arizona or here something. anymore. And he, he probably some. He probably went to someplace near Las Vegas to save on ca- like gas. Like, okay. <laughs> um, yeah, this is cool. the whole ghost community is is fascinating to watch. But at the end of the day, they often got nothing to show for it. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and th- this Monster Quest episode was them dipping their toes into that sort of thing where. Um, I guess the best that they had was the the so or whatever, which probably was a crew member, if I think so. <laughs> okay, so we looked in the house and we didn't find anything. We heard a so, maybe, which to mm. that I say so. So what? <laughs> um, we didn't get our feet moved. We didn't get our dick sucked. We didn't get our belt buckle <laughs> unlocked. Uh, this poor, these poor people who were killed didn't show up. Uh, ghosts are not real. Um, the blue ghost was a bug. Uh, <laughs> nobody found a ghost. There's no such thing as ghosts. And uh, end of episode, right? 
Oh yeah, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. The, the <laughs> comments were kind of interesting to watch on the read on this one. There was one. So you remember how like they talked about how the video in the, the Gettysburg battlefield was uh looping. Yeah. Um, and that that's probably obvious evidence that it was a hoax that uh, they were, they were probably just playing a video on a, a glass pane and it's a, it's a, it's a, a hoax. It's a, it's a fabrication. Yeah. Um, the people in the comments have an explanation of this miles. They said that like, uh, sometimes the battlefield footage is always fascinating to me. Looping is common in residual hauntings. They do oh. the same thing over and over again. So, <laughs> so ghosts tend to do the thing that you would do to fake ghosts. That's cool. they, they ghosts. Ghosts act like animated gifts. They they just they're just. <laughs> it's cool when like the real thing behaves identical to the fake version. Yeah, it's awesome. <laughs> That's awesome. Okay, so let's get to our ratings on this episode. Um, Trey, what do you give it? It's it's a two out of ten. All right, IMDb has it at a five point eight out of ten. Five point eight. That's pretty high for Monster Quest. Yeah, it's not too bad for Monster Quest. I I have to say, like the um the manipulation stuff was was pretty bad. Where like they uh, interview people that are obviously pretty pretty biased, and then they. I guess they got the guy who was a skeptic, so that's good. Um, they do have their little skeptic segments, but like it, they didn't do the bare minimum. Like all they, all essentially, all they did was the um, go to the uh, haunted house, and then all the rest of it was just kind of like, okay, what can we fill the rest of this up with? Yeah, yeah. I mean, are ghost monsters? Uh, be looking for ghosts. We need to talk to Darren Nish again. Are ghosts cryptids? Do they? Count? Well, yeah, he would have to say yes because they're animalia, according to you. They're on the cryptid wiki, right? They're on the cryptid wiki. Yeah, had that funny description. <laughs> anyway, what, what what do you give? What do you give? Uh, um, the ghost I, episodes. I don't know. Maybe a three point five. All right. Like, there's there's padding here. They had the one that you can see they put the money into the one and then they just found some stuff on Canadian news to fill in the rest, <laughs> which, you know, we've, we've all have had those days, right? <laughs> I tried to, to go ignore to... Canadian news myself, but <laughs> especially the last week. I know. Not great. My, Miles, um, what do you, what do you think about this episode? Oh, Did you uh, love it? You loved it. All right. <laughs> Yeah, I give it a zero. <laughs> well, this is our first zero out of ten, right? Yeah, I give it an absolute zero because ghosts don't exist. They can't exist. They can't be explained. They don't make any sense, and they're boring. And it's just a <laughs> bunch of dudes who walk around in houses with shitty cameras and shitty audio equipment going, wow, what is that? Did you hear that? Did you see that? But there's nothing to see, and there's nothing to hear, and they just could have got online and played video games with their friends and like normal people, <laughs> but they decided this was a fun hobby. And they might say, oh, well, we want to get out of the house. Okay, cool. Go fishing, go hiking, go play a sport, call your mom, go to bed. Don't, like, dramatize, don't, like, uh, exploit these gruesome murders. Don't sell axes of a lady who was killed because you <laughs> think ghosts are real. Learn about <laughs> science. That's my opinion. Yeah, yeah. Learn Not a fan science. of ghosts. I'm sorry that I tor- torpedoed this episode of the podcast <laughs> but i just don't like ghosts um there's one ghost i do like that's not true what, what ghost he, is that he's the host with the most who's that he's fucking coast to coast oh oh it's space ghost 
Now, space there was a Monster ghost. Quest episode about finding space ghosts. That would be a 10 out of 10. That would be something we could watch. We could hear the testimonials, you know, see this blurry VHS video that we have of him. That would be good. They should have done that. Mm. You know, I like Space Ghost Train. I've never heard of Space Ghost. I'm, I'm looking this up now. Oh my God. <laughs> I am Child. unaware what Space Ghost is. You know, space Ghost, <laughs> Space Book, Space Ghost. I've seen this uh, Mantis guy somewhere. Like, I've seen him in memes, but I, I have no idea who this is. Zorak? Yeah, Zorak. Yeah, sure. So I thought by I thought by coast to coast you were talking about coast to coast with uh, George the, Nori. George Nori, yeah. No, no, I'm talking about the real host with the most, and that's Space Ghost. Come here, episode 1966. That's that's crazy. This is an old show right here. Is it? Yeah, no, it you're looking at you're looking at oh yeah the it, time it, when he yeah. was a superhero. I'm talking about the time when he retired as a superhero and was a talk show host. Oh. And when was it? This was in the 90s. This is, this is Space this is Coast, Coast to Coast, yeah. <laughs> wow, I feel so young. So, like okay, here, let me tell you a thing about the 90s. Um, so Adult Swim happened in the 90s, right? Like, mm-hmm. And this would just come on late at night. And back then, you didn't have like Twitter or Facebook to go to to like say, hey, I'm on, did you guys see this thing? Do you know what this is? You were just up late at night, and then this started happening to you. Like you couldn't figure out what's happening. Like so, we saw like old Hanna Barbera characters start coming on TV and doing ridiculous stuff. Like there's Harvey Birdman, attorney at law, and he just is a lawyer. And then all of a sudden, Fred Flintstone's like a mafia boss, or Johnny Quest is on there, and they're in a gay love spat. And like the shit just is happening. You're like, what the hell did I just watch? And Space Ghost would interview people, like real people, like Bjork or Tom York. Or Tommy Wiseau was on there one time. And like, and it's just the weirdest show. And is it like Eric Andre? Is it like the Eric Andre show? Yeah, it's like a precursor to all this kind of humor. Yeah. And oh. this is basically done by like four or five guys working on this show. They just had the old art and they just like table read the stuff and recorded it and put it on TV. And it was just, <laughs> it was awesome, man. It was a great time to be alive. And wow. I love Space Ghost, number one ghost, only ghost in my heart. That's the point I'm trying to make here. All right. Wow. I, I'm, I've been educated. Yeah. So um, what are some of our uh, comments on this on this YouTube video we got here for Monster So the, the, I got I had that really interesting one about the looping the where they see they, they see the, the, the obvious evidence that it's fake as evidence that it's real. Yeah. There you go. Um, here's one. We had a ghost when I was a small child. We had a ghost like a pet. Oh, my God. He was most <laughs> often spotted in the kitchen. And was even chased and locked in the basement by my sister's Marine Sergeant fiance. The oh. police came and no one was down there and there were no escape routes. Wow. <laughs> what do you okay. say about that, Miles? That's pretty strong evidence right there. Yeah, my mind's changed. I love the idea that ghosts can be trapped in areas. These like ethereal beings can be yeah. closed off. Yeah, because um, they're a pre-scientific mystical folktale creature. Hmm. So it got chased, like it got cornered and chased into this basement, and then, but then it disappeared. Yes. Okay. <laughs> and when years ago, when I was thirteen, I had a bad dream. I think the thing came into my dreams. Woke up sweating buckets and saw a shadow in the corner of the room. I knew something was there, so I got scared. Hurried up and pulled the blankets over my head and tightly folded the blanket around me. 
In less than five seconds, I felt someone's knees knelt on my bed and tried to lift the blankets off me. I was singing church songs in my head, hoping it would go away. God must have heard because the thing I saw was electric blue sparks flying and that thing was gone. The last mm. thing I saw was electric blue sparks flying. Ooh, this is I the must ghost have... of electric blue light orchestra, obviously. <laughs> Maybe the courage to jump out of the bed, kitchen, kept the lights on for the rest of the night, scaredest night of my life. That sounds like sleep paralysis to me. That doesn't sound yeah. like a, 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 well, a creature. It's just a story or sleep paralysis, one of the two. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Here we go. Yep. So that's that. <laughs> um Next time on Monster Quest, we go to the Ohio Grassman. Yeah, baby. For over yeah. a century, a Bigfoot-type creature has terrified the children of Ohio. Can Monster Quest discover evidence of the legendary Grassman? So, yeah. I'm hoping. That would be fun. I mean, I feel like we talk about Bigfoot way too much, but I will uh, talk about Bigfoot way more happily than I will ghosts. And maybe the Ohio Grassman is a completely different species and exists. We'll find out. Oh, I want to skip to the one after the the giant killer snakes. That sounds exciting. Well, you have to wait, Trey. Oh, God. You have to wait. (laughs) Bigfoot in New York's this season. Oh, my God. Yeah, he gets a slice of pizza. He goes to Sobrero's. Bigfoot takes Manhattan. That's awesome. I'm walking here. (laughs) (laughs) You ever see that video? The person's like, oh, yeah, I'm in New York. And they're like filming each other for social media. And then one person in New York's like, shut the fuck up. Oh my god. <laughs> it's so funny, dude. <laughs> well, anyways, thanks for coming on to our show. Uh, make yeah, sure thank you, you so much. Yeah. Nice you got any last things you want to say about the Monster Quest or your show or anything like that? <laughs> Wait, my show is on hiatus at the moment. I am working on a potential one off at some point. But, uh, you know how things happen life, life changes, things get in the way, and mm. uh, it'll come out when it's good and ready. Meanwhile, not very active on social media at the moment, but if you reach out, um, I will probably find out about it. So on Twitter, I'm at Strange Ireland, and on Instagram, I am currently Irish underscore cryptid underscore dude. Also, he has a whole bunch of back episodes, so you don't need new ones. Just go listen to all the. I've made all the episodes anyone ever needs to hear. Yeah, they're okay. really good. I like them. I was playing that really bad Jurassic Park um, like park simulator game. Mm-hmm. and eating chips and guacamole and just listening to that podcast and it was a really good day so. living the life folks living the life yeah yeah <laughs> um so yeah thanks again for tuning in to the plastic please your podcast where i talked about tesla trey talked about giants we talked about a cool podcast with our awesome guest host and then i ranted and ruined our ghost monster quest segment. <laughs> it's it's ghost monster quest what, what do you expect yeah. <laughs> i expect some dignity some scientific <laughs> rigor. <laughs> All right. Oh. So uh, make sure you haunt what's haunting you. Goodbye. Bye.